Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. So there is either a disconnect or cognitive dissonance going on where you have to where you have to believe that you made the right choice because you just can't somehow in your mind admit that you made the wrong choice that okay. this is a bad person that he is a liar and so that you overlooked all of those things right. because of what maybe you're not digging deep enough in yourself it's not Donald Trump's issue it's yours. Maybe. But one. Not rule. maybe. It is yours. Because you made the choice. Right, You're making the choice here. And to go to the polls. Okay. And to believe it. I have heard. Welcome to our special coverage of the second night of the Republican National Convention. The theme from my perspective was, let us show you who we want you to think we are. The president using a pardon for a black man. A naturalization ceremony uh, for new immigrants, now Americans. And a blatantly political speech by a secretary of state to advance re-election hopes. All of it is too little, too late. Because we have two major crises falling on our heads. Both of them are on this president's watch. And it doesn't matter what his friends say. It doesn't matter what his wife says. Hmm. He has not put his arms around this pandemic in a way that will keep our families safe. And then you get to the second one. You have COVID and then you have Kenosha. Don. And what's happening in Wisconsin, it's a Rorschach test for where this country is. And I think it probably represents the biggest threat to the Democratic cause. You took the words right out of my mouth. That's Except because that we're reading from the same teleprompter. No, I took I'm your not, line. No, you didn't. That's not. That's all you. That all says, Chris, this is where I come in. We're, we'll get to that. But when you said it's too little, too late, I don't know about that. I mean, we still have a lot of time left until Election Day. And I do think that uh, this, what you said was happening in Kenosha is a Rorschach test for the entire country. And I think this is a blind spot for Democrats. I think Democrats are ignoring this problem or hoping that it will go away. And it's not going to go away. And so, unless someone comes up with a solution over the next 73 days, or 70 so, however many days. 68 days. 68 days. So it's not going to, the, the problem is not going to be fixed by then, but what they can do, and I think maybe Joe Biden may be afraid to do it. I'm not sure. Maybe he won't. Maybe he is. He's got to address it. He's got to come out and talk about it. He's got to do a speech like Barack Obama did about race. He's got to come out and tell people that he is going to deal with the issue of police reform in this country and that what's happening now is happening under Donald Trump's watch. On Donald Trump's watch. And when he is the president, Kamala Harris is the vice president, then they will take care of this problem. But guess what? The rioting has to stop. Chris, as you know and I know, it's showing up in the polling. Mm -hmm. It's showing up in focus groups. It is the only thing, it is the only thing right now that is sticking. And the Democrats tonight stuck with that, Right. And they also stuck with the theme that you said, the coronavirus. 
You got coronavirus and you have Kenosha. Mm -hmm. And then you have the First Lady of the United States. So what did we see tonight? The First Lady of the United States, Melania Trump. On the day the death toll, Chris, in this country passed 178,000. One of the only people at this convention to actually acknowledge the virus and to speak about race. Was it, did she do it in an honest way or was it just for political reasons? She did do it. But then she went on to gaslight in her own way, praising her husband's honesty, really, and claiming that her husband doesn't waste time playing politics. Right. When I say too little too late, I'm saying for reality, not for the election. I think, as you well know, I think this election is very far from done. I think this race is much closer than polls allow. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It is the 29th of August, year of our Lord, 2020. And we're going early. Because after the RNC, it happened. By now, some of you know it. It's out of control, and I couldn't just sit. I had to say something. That was in two sentences. We got to stop the riots, but those terrible Trump people, which has been what we've been doing forever. This is going to be a short podcast. I don't have much of a script. I threw it together. But I got to yell. There's no way I can't because we've stepped over proper decorum on levels that are unacceptable. But before I start, I apologize for the cracking. I'm having a lot of problems. The new cord I got for the uh, Yeti Blackout Pro version, my favorite object on the earth. So I've ordered a new cable and re-ran it again. I don't have any other cables Um, I should have a cable on Tuesday, and I will run a shorter cable away from things. I think it was going past the electric cord, and that was your crack. Um, I'm going to try today, still going external, but if it doesn't improve when we get the new cord, I promise I will internal on the HDD. I'm not going to lose that much data. You know, I'm still freaked out about an HDD. But um, I will internal instead of external, and that might be it, the conversion of the file to an external hard drive is making the cracking noises that that are happening and you know losses I'm getting actual losses and uh sound bites so I'll try to improve it the left in whole and no setup it's going to be violence a little bit rnc but it's just violence we're just in violence uh morning joe even is trying they're trying to pull the brakes on it but today by the end of this podcast, you're going to see they can't. They, as their dear leader, uh, the anointed one, the second coming of our last podcast, they built this. Here's Morning Joe. In Kenosha County, where the president won by fewer than 250 votes in 2016, those who already supported Trump told the New York Times in interviews that the events of the past few days have simply reinforced their conviction that he is the man for the job. But some voters who were less sure of their choice said the chaos in their city and the inability of elected leaders to stop it were currently nudging them toward the Republicans. Meanwhile, some Democrats told the Times they were nervous about condemning the looting because they said they understood where the anger was coming from, but said they were worried that what was happening in their city might backfire and aid the president's 
re-election prospects. Mika, when we think about uh, folks who are looking at what happened, what's happening in Kenosha and what's happened in Portland and the like, and saying that this is driving them to the Republicans, for me, they're just using that as an excuse to vote for Donald Trump. They already wanted to. Uh, because it seems to me that it doesn't follow, at least to my mind, that what we're witnessing right. should drive you to someone who's threatening the very foundation of democracy. Now, the th- it got so bad at the RNC, as we'll see when we get into the violent left. I want to set the table. There are two entities that are to blame to this. The, the biggest entity in the world is the media. So we'll start there. Here are, here, I'm going to play two sound bites. The first one, and then we'll discuss, is the media blaming the RNC for the violence in our streets. So my question is, is that the stuff that that President Trump should address? And should he condemn openly these vigilantes, Senator? Yes, it's all connected, Allison. The reality is that people were, uh, protesters were not just protesting. They, they, they were doing more, much more than protesting and have been for the past couple of nights there. That's the problem. Uh, and so, yeah, we, you, you, we need to address that issue. Uh, you even heard uh, that uh, Mr. Blake's uh, mother called for, you know, no looting, no rioting. I mean, you know, protesting is one thing and, 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 and legitimately going out there and peacefully protesting. Violently protesting is a, is a crime and, and you need to separate the two and, and, and they should be separated. Violently protesting is a crime. Looting. You mean, uh, you mean looting, looting and defacing violence. Violence. Yes, but, violence but, is a crime, Allison, no matter whether it's people who are black or white. It's understood. a crime. Understood, but there's so many peaceful protesters, and there's the looters. They're different than the peaceful protesters. Yeah, exactly. But, but the, what, what the governor is trying to deal with, the mayor is trying to deal with, uh, uh, that you know, others, uh, law enforcement is trying to deal with, are the, are the violent protesters, and, and they need to be condemned equally with the, with the counter-violent protesters. All violence needs to be condemned, period. Yeah, I understand, but they're not counter-protesters, Bakari. They're armed vigilantes. They say that they're guard, guarding their dry-cleaning store. We're going to turn now to some breaking news coming in from Kenosha, Wisconsin. 17-year-old Kyle Rittenhouse has just been charged with first-degree reckless homicide and use of a dangerous weapon. Rittenhouse is accused of shooting and killing three people Tuesday night at a protest over the police shooting of Jacob Blake. And tonight, we're learning new details about those two incidents. CBS Mola Lange reports tonight from Kenosha. As the aftermath of Tuesday's shooting gets a closer look. Hey, he just stopped them! Hey, dude right here just stopped them! Alleged gunman Kyle Rittenhouse walking away, gun in tow, as people scream that he just shot protesters. One law enforcement officer seeming to ask Rittenhouse if anyone was hurt. Someone injured straight ahead? Two incidents, two videos, with some asking why, two different responses. If there were the same amount of black men walking around, with those 8Ks or ARs or whatever, I'm not a gun person. I think the outcome would be a little bit different. And tonight, Hannah Giddings speaks to CBS News. She's the girlfriend of Anthony Huber, who was shot and killed while trying to stop the gunman Tuesday night. Who knows what could have happened if you hadn't done that? <laughs> and it's just not fair that he had to die like that. 
We are back with our coverage of the Republican National Convention. We are awaiting President Trump's speech, delivered unusually from the South Lawn of the White House. And, and Abby, one of the upcoming speakers is a woman named Ann Dorn. She's the widow of a retired police captain who was killed in St. Louis, David Dorn. What else can you tell us about her and her late husband? Yeah, Ann Dorn is going to be one of these uh, very emotional speakers. Her story or the story of her husband was something that really captured the imagination of conservatives during the George Floyd protests earlier this summer. But one of the things about having so many victims uh, or the, the families of victims speaking at this convention is that uh, the victims themselves are obviously no longer here uh, with us to say how they would feel about it. And two of David uh, Dorn's children, apparently, uh, Deborah and Lisa, have both said that her, their father was not a Trump supporter and that they do not think that he would have wanted his legacy to be used in a political fashion at a political convention in this way. But again, it's one of those things where, uh, you know, he's not here, unfortunately, to speak for himself and his children are not going to be here to speak with her, but this is going to be a really kind of one of those key core messages uh, that's going to be tying together the law, law and order idea and also this idea that uh, protesters or, you know, rioters are ravaging Americans. Two people are dead in Kenosha, Wisconsin. There is a manhunt underway. The sheriff there is warning of the presence of armed vigilantes. He used the word militia to describe some of the people who may have been involved in the shootings there. And this, of course, follows the police shooting of Jacob Blake in that city. Joining us now, CNN political analyst Maggie Haberman. She's a White House correspondent for The New York Times. And Maggie, obviously, the president has been leaning into the message of law and order for this convention, even before the convention. The president and people at the convention talking about chaos in the streets. This is a twist, though, potentially in Wisconsin, because some of the shootings this morning... And the deaths may be connected to people, in a way, with the same law and order message, taking law and order into their own hands. I wonder how this complicates what the president will say this morning, if anything. John, it's a great, it's a great question, and I don't think it's going to complicate it at all. I think you're going to continue to hear him say the same thing, as if there is not this wrinkle, because as you know as well as I do, nuance is not particularly how he handles these moments. And so I don't think that he's going to look to say... Uh, on Twitter, where we're going to hear from him for the most part about this today, uh, you know, this is, a, this is a different group of people who are taking advantage and, and whose message we normally support. I think what he's going to use it is as an, another attempt to tar the protesters with a broad brush and to suggest that this is why more National Guard need to be brought into the state. Right. I mean, he will. I, I hear you, Maggie. Um, history suggests he will exploit this chaos. Indeed. Now, another curious thing. He's the president right now. I mean, that, it's been pointed out, is often the message of an insurgent. This is happening on his watch, as it has been for months now. Does that ever get somehow reflected in his message? It certainly doesn't get reflected in his message, Allison, but it does complicate his message. And it makes it much harder for him to run this this campaign he's been trying to run where he's essentially both an outsider and the president of the United States. He keeps talking about how bad America will be under Joe Biden, and he points to these cities, and he says, well, you know, these are led by Democrats, and therefore that's the problem. But to your point, he's the president, and so there is, at a certain point, it's very hard to continue pointing the finger at somebody else when you are the person in charge. 
And again, there's a lot we don't know about what happened overnight in Kenosha. Right. In Kenosha. And, and we just don't know who exactly was involved, who was shot, and who might That's be right. captured in this manhunt. However, I do want to say there's a through line here that you could potentially draw. The McCloskeys were lifted up and, and glorified uh, on the first night of the Republican convention. This is this couple in St. Louis that were brandishing their weapons in the face of protests in that city. And again, they were held up as an example in the Republican convention of virtue. And now here we are with possibly armed people who went further than the McCloskeys. We're going to destroy that in a very short second. But as a normal American, can you for one second believe the rhetoric of Trump has caused the violence we're seeing. Can anybody actually believe that? We have been ratcheting up and ratcheting up protest violence. The media every day coming on and saying horrible things about anybody who doesn't think like them. And this the sheer reality that Portland's on day like a hundred of violence when he pulled federal troops and it didn't stop and the media walked away. But because of our intro, they're deathly afraid of this going to Biden. So our second soundbite is basically Biden's got nothing to do with this. But we can still talk about justice and what we need to do to clean, to clean up both police and communities across this country. Mm -hmm. I'm struck that as we celebrate the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment this week, that that was brought about by many suffragettes who themselves, women who engaged in acts of violence in order to win the right to vote in a very different sort of way, in a very different time. Earlier tonight, we heard from Kellyanne Conway, who brought us the alternative facts. And it feels like we're really watching two alternate realities playing out. Just in a little bit, we're going to hear from uh, Vice President Mike Pence, who's really going to be showcasing uh, the national anthem. Earlier tonight, we heard from Madison Cawthorn, who said, kneel before God, but stand for our flag. And now you have uh, the NBA, WNBA, several teams from uh, Major League Soccer, Major League Baseball, who are all essentially taking a collective knee. Protests continue for the third night in Wisconsin after the shooting of Jacob Blake in the back by police. A young vigilante who took up a rifle to confront Black Lives Matter's protesters there has now been arrested for shooting three. Two of the victims are dead. We, we, we heard not a word in that Laura Trump speech about Jacob Blake, uh, who was shot seven times in the back. We heard nothing about racial justice and the reckoning with with 400 years of systemic racism uh, that a majority of Americans, according to polls, are ready to undertake, uh, are ready to talk about and grapple with. This convention is not ready to grapple with any of that. This convention is ready to frighten. And let's talk about your boss, um, Vice President Pence's speech last night. One of the things that he said is getting attention is, quote, People will not be safe in Joe Biden's America. Do you think that people feel safe in Kenosha, Wisconsin this morning in Donald Trump's America? You said that people feel unsafe um, and, and are talking about the fear that they feel. Many, as you know, members of the black community feel fear because of the systemic racism in this country. And Donald Trump is currently the president in this environment that, as you described, people feel unsafe. 
So if people are feeling unsafe now under a Trump administration, does, do you not bear some responsibility for that? People saw with their own eyes what happened to George Floyd. And they saw, were able to see with their own eyes the piece of the cell phone video of what's happened to Jacob Blake. Yeah. Why didn't Vice President yeah. Pence talk about those names last night and those situations? But, but why isn't he specifically naming Jacob Blake and what happened to him? And similarly, the vigilantism. This is what is so frustrating when you talk about the Black Lives Matter movement. You know, where the people are saying the Black Lives Matter too. You know, all lives matter, but it seems that Black life is not valued in this country, and that's why this is so upsetting to me. It's so unfair and it's so mischaracterized about what is happening. You know, when you look at the Black Lives Matter movement, you've got to look at the cause of why this is happening. These aren't people just going crazy in the streets for no, no reason. I, it's, it's, it's too much to me. The through line seemed to be law and order last night. And they were talking about in Biden's America, there will be no law and order. But here we sit in the Trump administration's law and order. And people could say there's no law and order in the streets too. now. How can they make the argument when some people believe that the president has contributed to the chaos that we're seeing in the streets? Melania Trump did an excellent job in, bring, in, in, in yes, trying to unite the country. Do you think the president is capable? And I asked this, Senator Scott, with all due respect, because one of the first speakers he had that night was the white suburban couple who held a gun on unarmed black protesters. And then it's it, it sort of uh, laying down the foundation that you are not safe in the suburbs because you will have marauding people going in the suburbs, taking over the suburbs. Do you think that white people are not safe in the suburbs? Because that seems to be the message that is being not so subtly put out into the ether during this time. They continually try to go with the alternative facts, yet that's all they've done. Stephen Miller tweeted yesterday, Last night's behavior was a feature, not a bug. Always on offense tweeted the following, and we beat this home repeatedly. But since Donald Trump got elected, we've had CNN politics on uh, 6 2018. Democratic Representative Maxine Waters encourages her supporters to harass Trump administration officials. On 10 10 18. Former Attorney General Eric Holder on Republicans. When they go low, we kick them. 10-9-18. Hillary Clinton, you cannot be civil with a political party that wants to destroy what you stand for. On 28 September 2018, tell me again why we shouldn't confront Republicans where they eat, where they sleep, and where they work until they stop being complicit in the destruction of our democracy. The media has played this so poorly and incited the violence by condoning those statements. Nobody has ever pushed back on, is it okay to treat political opposition that way? Should you be doing this? Those words are not stated, ever. And then they play the bullshit that we've had in the background. 
We've had the Michigan lockdown. I say it every podcast, but I got to bring it home to make this point. Those are terrorists storming a fucking state house after temperature checks with guns. This was part of the D.C. riot and the march on Washington yesterday. What does this have to do with social justicing? Understand, very little mask, zero social distancing. catch this thing eventually. Let's talk about that with Dr. Rob Davidson. He's an emergency room physician, the executive director of the Committee to Protect Medicare. Doctor, I'm wondering what you thought of, of the scene at, at the White House where there weren't many masks. You should also point out the protests today, the, a lot of people wearing masks, not social distancing, though, obviously not, uh, not what it should be. Yeah, I was very concerned about the White House event last night, 1,500 people packed shoulder to shoulder. The head of the White House Coronavirus Task Force in attendance without a mask with his family, his elderly mother without a mask. And it's it's concerning. Uh, we know people weren't tested. Only people in direct contact with President Trump had testing done. So I think we're going to see cases come out of that, and it's just modeling bad behavior. Now, when we juxtapose that to what's happening in Washington, D.C. right now, uh, people are mostly wearing masks. Now, true, there is social distancing issues. However, this is a public health crisis. They are marching against systemic racism has taken so many lives in this country throughout our history. If you're born black in this country in 2017, you have a three and a half year lower life expectancy than if you're born white. If you're a young black man, you have a one in 1,000 chance of being shot by police three times more than if you're born white. So I just think that when you're marching against a public health emergency, I think you do every risk mitigation procedure you can. Uh, but we understand that we have to do the risk-benefit analysis, and those folks out there are doing something very important today. You know, we, we're, uh, someone uh, <coughs> excuse me, at the White House was saying... Uh, think how fucked up you have to be as a journalist who spends all their time just going to Twitter to get their news. To defend the left... By bringing on an expert to say that social justice protests are exempt from COVID. Whereas the RNC convention, a bunch of people listening to the president on the lawn, who most likely were checked for COVID before they came the fuck in, checked for fevers, the whole nine yards. Yeah, those people, that's a super spreader. That's what they're going on about RNC, which we'll do at the back half of this podcast. That's how twisted they are. They are all in. There has been zero coverage of the following. And I really want you to think about it. Virginia is what you will get if we elect the Democrats to take over the House, Senate, and the White House. The most extreme live birth abortion bills. Confiscation of everything but the ARs. They couldn't pull it off, but their gun laws are the strictest in the country now. And they passed the following. Virginia Senate approves charges, changes to police assault law. 
The Virginia Senate has approved legislation that would eliminate a six-month mandatory minimum sentence for assaulting a police officer. The bill was approved despite the strenuous objections from Republicans who said it disrespects police at a time when they have come under attack during nationwide protests. Democrats said the legislation does not minimize the crime of assaulting a police officer, but instead makes a distinction between serious assaults and minor assaults. The bill keeps the charge as a felony, but gives judge or jury discretion to reduce it. Tom Cotton, this is unhinged. The Democrat Virginia Senate has passed a bill that would dramatically reduce penalties for assaulting a police officer. Liberal politicians are endangering police officers and fueling the riots in our streets. And it's not just the police. The bill reduces penalties for assaults against judges, firefighters, EMS personnel, and more. Democrats want to declare open season on public servants. You couple that with a nationwide policy like New York where you catch and release serious criminals. They suffer nothing. Don't even pay pay bond anymore because bond is racist. They basically want a society that our laws are based on the skin color. And their false sense of, well, it's really white people don't serve real time. Or get prison sentence. Or don't go to fucking uh, the death death row. Which is all false. Everybody knows it's false. What we've watched in four years is anarchy and treason on a level that's never ever been done in our lifetime. And why do I mean treason? Since the beginning of the Trump administration, because he was an outsider, he couldn't come in and flush everybody out. Our country's still run by Barack Hussein Obama. You think I'm a liar? Shams Sharninia. LeBron James led small group of players who sought advice of Barack Obama on Wednesday, and the former president offered them guidance to continue playing with a plan of action. The Athletic. That's why they're going to play their basketball games now. Buck Sexton. Always remember, it wasn't the rioting, looting, burning out buildings or dead bodies in the streets that made Democrats pump the brakes a little on BLM. It was the polls finally turning against them. Nothing matters to Libs more than power. Here are the polling as of 614 to 1820. Approval of BLM protest. Approved 61, disapproved 36. August 4th to August 9th. Approved 48, disapproved 52. By racial composition, 45% of whites and 78% of POC approve of the carnage. That's the only reason why they want it to stop. But when you break down the numbers, because this is once again a liberal poll, you go to Gallup. 
When asked whether they want the police to spend more time, the same amount of time or less time than currently do in their area, most black Americans want the police present to remain the same. This is similar at 61%. This is similar to 67% of all Americans. But then you go to Vox, or media, how black people really feel about the police explained. Research suggests black people want a systemic overhaul on crime reduction and inequality. And it basically is written by a white person and says the exact opposite of what this poll says. The exact fucking opposite. Because that's what our media does. When they find a poll they don't like, They just write some op-eds under the guise of front-page headline news. And you can know for sure, as sure as I'm a fat, bald man, as we go into our violent left, there was little writing on the D.C. protests, our national capital. You 
You knocked your fucking glasses off her face. Yes, you did. No, I didn't. Yeah, not. you did. So you fucking, you got what I'm you deserve. You got what you fucking deserve. Okay. All right? Fuck you, Nazi. And the cops won't fucking arrest you because you're a white man. Why did you hit her? Hey, you smacked a bull on her. A black woman and a black lives matter, Mark. How do you know I'm not down here supporting your cause? Because you smacked a bull on her. I'm not. I got a camera. Let me see. Why'd you punch her? I didn't punch her. Why'd you come here tonight, sir? What the fuck did I come down here tonight? Yeah, it was a big mistake, buddy. We're just trying to get you out safely, though, because we're not like that. What the hell did I come down here for? Oh. The fireworks? You got it, Wilson? Go home to your wife, man. get into the most heinous parts of all this this is what the speakers were saying that your media will not air i have to think about not being able to wake up the next morning i have to think about my brother not coming home because he has mental disability so i want you to think for a second what it must feel like to be black, living every day with the color of my skin, living every day with the texture of my hair, living every day black. I need y'all to feel my pain because our community is hurting. And you will never be able to feel that pain because you are not the same skin color as me. And that's a problem. That's a fucking problem. Why do white why, why do I have to think in my head at school? Why do I have to think that if I don't work as hard or even harder as a black as a white girl that I'm not gonna get the same opportunities? Why do I have to think that way? I should be getting more opportunities. I should be able to live my life thinking I'm gonna get the same opportunity as my next as a next as this person standing next to me, no matter what their skin color is, because that's human that's the basic human fucking treatment. That's how you should treat humans. It's not even a black or white matter. It's fucking being nice. It's fucking it's being a human. It's human nature. What's going on? What's going on, everybody? My name is John Sullivan. I'm from Salt Lake City. Sit down. Fuck this shit. Who, anybody out here seeing that white militia guy shoot three, ki- three kids? Yeah. Fuck that guy. And I will tell you this shit is in Utah, a whole bunch of white militia came out there formed against our group. We out there strapped. We out there ready to burn that shit down. We out there to defend our fucking self. We gotta defend ourselves now too. We do. Cause power to the people. Power to the people. Power to the people. Damn right. We gotta fucking, we gotta fucking rip Trump out of that office right over there. Fucking pull him out that shit. Nah, nah, we ain't about fucking waiting till the next election. We about to go get that motherfucker. I ain't about that shit. Because you know what time it is? I want y'all to be after me. It's time for a revolution. 
It's time for a revolution. It's time for a revolution. Thank you guys. I appreciate y'all. Be safe. Be blessed. They also, as Julio Rosas reported, a guillotine has been put in front of the fencing near the White House. They've got a prop guillotine in front of the White House. Seems well made. They're executing what looks like a Donald Trump doll in a makeshift guillotine. Do you remember people even having anything about Obama? Julio Rosa was all over everything. Here are some of his tweets. And understand, every one of these, the flag is upside down. The only people should have upside down flags are the rest of us as they loot, beat, and rampage. His tweets during the night, because nobody in D.C. was going to go there, on the ground in front of the White House for townhall.com, a large number of protesters are out here. Trump is getting ready to accept nomination. They're chanting, fuck 12. Agitators are heckling a black D.C. police officer outside the White House. Yep, that's how they treat police officers. That's fantastic. One agitator threatened to beat up the D.C. police officer near the White House. Yeah, I'll shake you up quick. N-I-G-G-A. Protesters chant near the White House. If we don't get justice, burn it down. Yeah, that's really nice. A man was surrounded by a crowd of protesters near the White House. Not sure why. A few scuffles broke out. And then he was sucker punched in the head and he fell down. He also has some blood on his face. Yeah, you want to bleed blood tonight. Yeah, that's nice. Agitators also chased out a cameraman from the area near the White House. They threatened to beat him up and destroy his camera. Yeah, it's more of the same right there. That That's what they were doing. And reports by conservative media, these people are not from Washington, D.C. They were trucked in, yet to find a single media source do anything to prove or investigate who's paying for all this. And then the worst thing that could possibly happen happened, and we'll do it on the backside of a break. 
We're going to play an opera song to calm my soul. I won't play the whole thing. But this is inappropriate. When you come back in, you're going to hear people who left the RNC convention, just like in 2016 going to rallies, being harassed and brutalized.
Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed.
Could you imagine if that kind of conduct was done at a Democratic convention or event? Could you imagine the amount of outrage that would happen if some white dudes were assaulting, verbally cursing, threatening Democrats? I don't care what color they are. Any Democrat. Can you imagine that happening? That is so inappropriate. That is Soviet shit. But then they took it to the next level. And they did it to representatives. This is going to have Brian Mast and Rand Paul with a segment from Fox News. This happened. And nobody fucking cared. Congressman, Congressman, what brings you out here tonight? What's that? What brings you out here tonight? Walking to my hotel. Really? Yep. Did you attend uh Clarence? I sure did. You it was did. a great time. Did you enjoy the fireworks? The fireworks I thought were outstanding. What do you make of all these protests? Everybody has their right to protest. That's a beautiful thing. You're not you're not afraid for your safety? No. Should I be? What do you think about police killing black people in this country? Don't worry, we're going to vote. What do you think about police killing black people in this country? I don't think anybody should get killed wrongfully. What do you think about police killing black people in this country? Answer the question that I am asking How do you feel about abolition? No, answer the question. How do you feel about police killing black people in this country, in this city? Anybody's right to due process. How do you feel about police killing to take anybody's rights. That's that all lives matter. Do you feel about police murdering black people Anybody in this country? Anybody murdered is wrong. Anybody. How do you feel about black people? Black people. 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 That would be We're wrong. very specific. That would be wrong. So how do you feel about police? So what are you going to say? Wait a minute. You answer that question, but answer her question. Other race. Answer how that. do you feel about that particular piece of
You can tell that man behind the mask is Rand Paul, a bunch of protesters descending on the Kentucky senator and his wife, Kelly, as they left the, senate, uh, the president's RNC speech from the White House. Actually, it was a longer trip than that. He joins us right now for his first live interview since that confrontation. Uh, senator, good morning. That looks scary. Yeah, you know, my wife and I, it was horrific. You know, we had two uh, women with us who were friends of ours. We had looked out, you know, we came out of the speech and the we, looked, we looked into the street. Our hotel was only right across the street from the White House, but we couldn't go because the mob was already chasing people down that chose to go out that exit. So the Secret Service says, get on a bus and ride to the Trump Hotel. So we got on a bus. It took 45 minutes to get through all the mobs. We get there safely, and then we say we'll get an Uber to go all the way back where we came from, and we wanted to be dropped off at the hotel. But as we got close to it, the streets were blocked and no one would let us through. And what happened is there was two blocks and I regret that I made this decision, but I said, we're gonna walk the two blocks. We walked one block, but as we walked one block, we could see some police in the distance, but we also saw a mob of about 30 people marching and yelling. They all of a sudden saw me right as we got to the policeman, fortunately, or I don't think we'd have survived. We got to the policeman, and I, the policeman, I don't think, recognized me. And as they came closer, they were shouting my name, and the crowd doubled to 60. Mm-hmm. And then it doubled again to 120. And as they were surrounding us, and it got closer and closer, and everybody kept pushing back, the policemen were forming a, a barricade with their bodies. I whispered to the policeman, they know who I am. You've got to get reinforcements. It's going to get worse. He called for reinforcements, but we didn't get any reinforcements. We waited, but the crowd was getting bigger and bigger and pushing in. Uh, they were yelling threats. They were trying to push the police over to get to me. They were grabbing at us. And it got worse and worse and worse. And then finally we decided to make a move. I said, we've, we've got to move it. There's not going to be reinforcements. We have to try to get to the hotel, which was another block. And they were shouting threats, you know, to us, to, to kill us, to hurt us. But they're also threats saying, shout, shouting, say her name, Breonna Taylor. And it's like, you couldn't reason with this mob, but I'm actually the author of the Breonna Taylor law to end no-knock raids. So the irony is lost on these idiots that they're trying to kill the person who's actually trying to get rid of no-knock raids. And they were shouting and screaming and just, it really, these people were unhinged. But I can't tell you how, I'm not sure we would have made it. So as we're walking, sort of surrounded by the police, they're attempting to push the police over to get to me. So at one point, they push a policeman backwards. He stumbles, and he's trying to catch his balance. And I catch the back of his flak jacket to stabilize him and, you know, make sure that he's okay because he's our defense. I mean, if, if he's down, the mob's loose on us. And you've seen the pictures of what they do to you. If the police are not there, if you defund the police, if we become Portland, if America becomes Portland, what's going to happen is people are going to be pummeled and kicked in the head and and left senseless on the curb. That would have happened to us. I promise you, had we not had the D.C. police to support us, we are thankful that we have police. And we've got to wake up. We can't have the whole country. We can't have Joe Biden rule the country and have no police. I mean... It, we can't yeah. walk down the street in D.C. safely now. I, That's how bad it is. I, I saw one police officer was actually using his bicycle uh, to try yes. to uh, to keep the crowd back. He fell into you. You almost stumbled and fell down. Uh, you and your wife are both okay, right? 
We are. We were unharmed, but, you know, it, it's still going on this morning. There's still mobs in the street blocking the streets. And I know it sounds like over the top to say that people are from out of town, but I think we're going to find out that these people are hired and from out of town, specifically in our case. I believe there are going to be people who were involved with the attack on us that actually were paid to come here, are not from Washington, D.C., and are sort of paid to be anarchists. Yeah. And this is disturbing because, really, if you're inciting a riot, that's a crime. But if you're paying someone to incite a riot, that person needs to go to jail as well. But we can't live this way. It's yeah. getting worse and worse. You know, I like being free to be able to walk out and go for a walk in the park. We cannot go outside now. It's become so dangerous for us. And I don't hear Joe Biden or Kamala Harris saying one thing about the violence. Yeah. This mob is their voters. This is the new Democrat Party. And if we don't resist this, the United States is going to become Portland. We're going to become right. Chicago. All of these failed cities Democrats have run, the president said it in his speech. If we allow them to take over the White House, we are going to become Portland. The, the country will be on fire. We have to have law and order, and we have to support the police. Tim Kaine leaves a building. White people, conservatives, make a great America, America great people, literally stand there and start cursing them and saying they're going to kill them. They get so fucking crazy, the cops get knocked the fuck down trying to protect them. Tell me that happens. Tell me that happens. Anybody. And and I've been playing for fucking years. The media literally non-stop saying that's okay. Non-stop saying worse. We just played fucking that we should kill the GOP from the last podcast. We've had people on this show for fucking four fucking years saying over and over and over that this is okay. This is what, this is acceptable. They don't have a place. Why would they have a place? They don't think like us. I mean, folks, this is fucking, this is what happens in third world fucking countries. We were told Trump's the fascist. We've been told that they're fucking destroying America. We're being told his decorum is beneath the office. This kind of fucking shit's been happening ever since Obama was president ever since it hasn't stopped and they come on and they try over and over and over and over and over to say a it's it's well that johnson clip here it is again it's white vigilantes there was no white people in this crowd and when it comes to the lack of law and order that we have on the streets What has finally come out in these last couple of months, what we saw in Minneapolis, what we've seen in in Chicago, what we've seen in Portland is the violence is often not just coming from the police, but from Proud Boys and Boogaloos and white nationalists and alt-right people who are coming there and destroying buildings and setting things on fire and handing out bricks. I think it's become abundantly clear that when you're looking at 
who is causing the most violence in these situations. It's not the mamas and the papas and the teenagers and the college kids who are coming out with signs. They go home by nine o'clock at night when the curfews come in. It is these white nationalists and provocateurs that have been causing violence. And Trump, rather than doing something about that, essentially encourages their behavior and never holds the cops accountable who are basically hand in hand with that kind of violence and destruction. This wasn't a one-off. This has been happening for fucking four years in Portland and happening since May. Phil Nitto, protesters in front of St. John's Church chanting, if we don't get justice, burn it down. Elderly man assaulted by protesters near St. John's in D.C. Appears to be walking with another elderly female wearing pro-Trump gear. Protesters claim elderly man assaulted a black female. He denies the charges that he was there to see the fireworks. We played it. Protesters attempting to corral the crowd towards the White House South Lawn. Crowd moving down 17th Street chanting, if we don't get justice, shut it down. Protesters chant, fuck Trump, while POTUS gives RNC speech. Trump taking a knee with protesters. Individuals, they got a fucking dummy out there. Individuals in the White House guest entrance retreat from gates as crowd accost him. Night ending with fireworks. Crowd dispersed near guest entrance of Trump fireworks show. White female protesters call an African-American officer traitor and Uncle Tom. Congressman Mass gets fucked with. Man and wife gets fucked with. Some dude just screaming for no reason. More NRNC guests being harassed after leaving the White House. It wasn't a one-off. No media coverage. Nobody gave a fucking shit about it. Trevor Noah, the same time, goes out, hailed for being unfunny, compares USA to apartheid-era South Africa. Yeah, there's probably some truth in that if you're a person wearing a Make America Great hat. Audacious pundit. This is Nazi Gestapo tactics. Terrorism. That's their goal. To strike fear into the hearts of their political opponents. Just like the Stasi brown shirts. And that's what we were told Trump supporters are. That's what we were told after the 490 Tiki Torch guys that didn't harm a single person. They were racist fucks walking around with Tiki Torches. They got bricked by Antifa. One dude freaked and killed somebody. We've been laying on that heavily. And Trump says there's nice people. That's what they've been living on. Yet, here we are with people getting accosted in our nation's capital. And let's let's not forget... Rand Paul was attacked by an unhinged neighbor. He almost died. And as you heard the trailer, he's the only person. We read a fucking Sean King tweet. He put up a goddamn bill that's named after her to end no-knock warrants. This is how unintelligent these people are. And we didn't get the video all of it, but they said we got Rand Paul cornered. Steve Guest, after Rand Paul was surrounded by the violent left-wing mom watched D.C. last night, recent comments made by prominent Democrats are striking. Squad member Anna Presley calls for targeted GOP officials with unrest in the streets. 
Reminder, Joe Biden called Presley really smart back in June as violent rioting across Democratic-controlled cities. Biden eventually running mate Kamala Harris said protesters should not let up. In 2018, Nancy Pelosi said, I just don't even know why there aren't uprisings all over the country. In a related comment, Democratic Maxine Waters says, if you see anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station, on them and you tell them they're not welcome anymore anywhere earlier this week nancy pelosi called republican domestic enemies and enemies of the state sending mobs after people you disagree with the soviet level garbage it is not and will not be who we are as a country this whole threat is disturbing if anyone else said these things they'd be crucified by the msl politicians msm politicians and celebrities it would be non-fucking-stop 33 fucking people have been killed during these peaceful fucking riots. 33. That's not counting the cops. Here's more of the, some media, Nancy Pelosi, all of them. They fucking built this. And when your president can't say Black Lives Matter... When the entire country is saying Black Lives Matter, when he speaks for 76 minutes and does not invoke the name of the young man who was murdered, but then talks about the quote-unquote violence that's happening as a result of that. TJ, you just mentioned in the backdrop, Jacob Blake just died when this march was already planned. So to keep saying, leave it to Congress, that's not working. To say, just vote, that's not working because black people are still getting killed every week. There are, the list is so tragic and so long, it's hard to keep up with all the stories that are out there. Yeah, TJ Holmes, it reminds me of listening and, and here in New York, the 9-11 memorial service every year. <laughs> that family members line up and just say the names of the loved ones they've lost. So, so it's one thing for the Black Lives Matter movement to just say, stop shooting us and killing us. But then you have to deal with the additional pain of being reminded of just how much your life doesn't matter because it's not worth convicting or even charging the person that took that life. So this, the pain we talk about here, and, and look, we, we covered that, that uh, just George Floyd was the latest. But every, going to, I mean, I'm a young black man. I know these are my friends. These are my neighborhoods. But to see yourself and somebody that looks like you being gunned down, every single day almost on television, to see that and go through that, there's a trauma. I've heard people talk about this. Like, we, we need a collective uh, therapy as black folks in this country. It's just hard, and yes, maybe Yvette sometimes, maybe they're listening, some people are listening that weren't before, but this, to, to sit through this and, and to listen to these stories again, it is. It's, it's in the words of Bernie Sanders, Rand Paul wrote the damn bill, okay? He, he wrote the bill, it's not, he, he's been the one member of Congress uh, as far as the Senate that has stood up against the state, whether it's uh, immunity, where, where is this, the Brunner Taylor Act, whether it's, it's the FISA court, any time the state has abused its power, there's been one guy in the Senate that's been going in and Mike Lee backs him up. So for me, it's not, they don't even know what they stand for. They don't even know who's behind these bills, which is why I say, you gotta lock this stuff down. You gotta lock it down. This has nothing to do with ideology. This has to do with violence. Aaron Haynes, to Jonathan's point, I've talked to Democrats 
who support Joe Biden, who say they do worry that this may work, that the president is talking to whatever number of people it is in this country, potentially in the suburbs, who watch what's happening in the streets. They turn on their TVs or their phone or they look at Facebook and they go, you know what, I actually don't want that stuff coming to my city. No matter how irrational that may be, they may feel that. So what is your sense of how the Biden campaign is counterpunching on this case about destroying the suburbs and all the other nonsense that the Trump campaign is putting out there? He, by most accounts from Democrats, they believe he needs to punch back hard on this. And he has come out almost every day and say, I don't want to defund the police and I condemn the violence in the streets while supporting the movement that brought it about. What's your sense of how they're doing and pushing back? Well, I think that, that uh, voters that I'm hearing from are definitely uh, wanting to hear from, from uh, Vice President Biden and, and Senator Harris on what their plan is to address uh, you know, the, the uh, racial disparities in, in policing that have had these protesters in the streets uh, for most of the summer and, and with no signs of, of stopping uh, their protests to continue to raise awareness around this issue. Listen, the president is right about one thing. There is unchecked rampant violence in the streets of America, but it is not what he is depicting it as. It is the unrelenting shooting and killing of black people in this country, even as we are in the midst of a global public health and economic crisis. That is the point that should be, you know, focused on every day. Uh, and that is what should be asked of, of either of the people that are seeking to become the next president of these, this United States. What is the plan to address that? If you want the rioting and the looting to stop. And when it comes to the lack of law and order that we have on the streets, what has finally come out in these last couple of months, what we saw in Minneapolis, what we've seen in, in Chicago, what we've seen in Portland is the violence is often not just coming from the police, but from Proud Boys and Boogaloos and white nationalists and alt-right people who are coming there and destroying buildings and setting things on fire and handing out bricks. I think it's become abundantly clear that when you're looking at who is causing the most violence in these situations, it's not the mamas and the papas and the teenagers and the college kids who are coming out with signs. They go home by 9 o'clock at night when the curfews come in. It is these white nationalists and provocateurs that have been causing Causing violence and Trump rather than doing something about that essentially encourages their behavior and never holds the cops accountable who are basically hand-in-hand hand with that kind of violence and during the president's speech protesters outside the White House used noise and fireworks to try and drown him out while he was speaking hundreds of demonstrators were there many of them dancing and playing music very loudly one group of protesters confronted Republican Senator Rand Paul as he left the White House after the speech Oh boy, video shows police officer on a bicycle apparently holding the demonstrators back. The senator thanked police on Twitter for, in his words, literally saving our lives. I think that video, Anthony, is tough to watch. Yeah, you no. know, he ought to be able to come and go. Absolutely. You shouldn't be attacked on the street. We had um, a hearing on uh, a subject related to this asylum seeker, refugees, etc. Uh, the American, the Association of Evangelicals. The evangelicals testify that asylum, refugees and asylum, that is the, they called it the crown jewel of America's humanitarianism. Crown jewel of American humanitarianism. And in order to do away with that crown jewel, they're doing away with children being with their moms. This is, I, I, I just don't even know why there aren't uprisings all over the country, and maybe there will be, 
when people realize uh, that this is a policy that they defend. It's a horrible thing, and I don't see any prospect for legislation here. Why not? Why not? What do we do here? We do nothing. We do nothing. I'm looking to the public. You know, this is as much about public outcry and organizing and mobilizing and applying pressure so that this GOP-led Senate and that these governors that continue to carry water for this administration, putting the American people in, in harm's way, um, turning a deaf ear to the needs of our families and our communities, hold them accountable. Well, make the phone call, send the email, show up. You know, there needs to be unrest in the streets for as long as there's unrest in our lives. And unfortunately, there's plenty to go around. They built it. This is their riots. They wanted all this. They're trying really hard to spin off it. But this is what they wanted. They wanted you scared. They wanted you stuck in your homes. Lockdowns weren't working anymore. People starting to back the fuck off. Oh, no, 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 no. We can't have that. We need to control the masses. Christopher Mathis, data shows right-wing vigilantes and paramilitaries have confronted or attacked anti-racist protesters about 500 times since cops killed George Floyd. This includes at least 64 assaults, 38 attacks and cars, 9 shootings, and 3 deaths. 387 incidents of intimidation. This is what they rolled out at Politico. Does anybody believe that? Mack truck. But... Rioting, looting, and killing by leftist mobs are okay. Translated, the anarchist criminal mobs composed of arsonists, looters, and murderers, many with criminal records responsible for billions of dollars of damage in several U.S. cities, the destruction of hundreds of minority-owned businesses, and countless acts of violence are victims. Well, during the D.C. protester he, protest that were all peaceful from out-of-state people being financed probably by George fucking Soros himself or other parts of the DNC, well, they, they threw a concrete brick at a fucking cop and knocked him out. Media silent. Last year, two black bodybuilding Make America Great white supremacists attacked Jesse Smollett. We were all told we're racist fucking homophobes. Everybody's a fucking racist. It was crazy. It was proven wrong. The media dropped it like a fucking bag of shit. They just dropped it. We didn't hear about it. It just went the fuck away. Well, uh, this happened with the peaceful protesters that are pushing for social fucking justice. And I want to ask you, why are they calling somebody a faggot? Oh, really? Literally walking down the sidewalk. For the record, we were walking down the street minding our own business. And you just physically assault. No, Look up the crime bill. All right. You get away from me. You get away from me. Oh, I got you on film. Do something to her. Yeah, do something to her. Fuck you. Nobody covered that. He's a conservative journalist. No. 
No, we can't fucking have that. Andrea Mitchell wrecked in Trump's speech tonight. Joe Biden, for the last four years, we were not having racial riots. When they occurred, we didn't have to call in the National Guard. We protected federal property without hurting people. We moved in a direction that made sense. Carl Gustav, nice to see you do your job as a faithful stenographer and not challenge him on his lie. Keep up the good work. I mean, did anybody think that she'd do the right thing? Does anybody ever think our media would ask? Hey, what do you think about these riots? People are getting killed. Should we be concerned? No, they don't. Guy Benson's neighbor, because it's just not D.C. Dear neighbor, thank you for proudly and promptly displaying your signs of political support. These symbols make it impossible for us to ignore how you truly feel about us as your neighbor. They make abundantly clear to those of us who are women, people of color, immigrants, and those who may worship a love differently than you that you simply do not care about us at all. We know that in our times of need, if we are scared or hurting, we cannot turn to you for help because you hold no charity or grace in your heart for us. You make it clear by these signs that you neither respect us as humans nor believe we are entitled to equal protections and rights under the laws of this great country. You do not believe that we deserve life, liberty, or the pursuit of happiness, that we are not really Americans to you, simply because you may not look like you or share your beliefs. So again, thank you for showing us the prejudice and hate that truly fits your heart. Tells us so proudly that uh, uh, although you may be our neighbor, we are not equal to yours. Sincerely, your neighbors who dare to be different. P.S. And believe to be a Christian, which assume is also likely. Thank you for further proving that you do not hold the true Christian values or follow the teachings of Christ, who preach love and acceptance for all your neighbors. We sure hope you enjoy the heat. And that's because they had a Trump flag or Trump sign in their front yard. It's everywhere. It's fucking everywhere. Riots erupt after Minnesota's police accused of shooting and killing suspect. A dude walked in, blew his own head off. Minneapolis fucked up another target again. Oregon protester convicted of arson and a fire in their police precinct gets probation and community service. Kyle Hooten just got robbed at gunpoint in Minneapolis for my bulletproof vest and backpack. Two black males, one was stout 5'6", wearing a white shirt with a Gucci scarf around his head. The other was a skinny 5'10", wearing a black shirt. Now they have a mystery ranch backpack, a tan bulletproof vest, a police surplus gas mask, an Israeli surplus gas mask, and an IFACT. Kyle reports to the Daily Caller. Nobody fucking cared. Which brings a story. Do reporters care that BLM protesters attacked a journalist? File this under something you think journalists would care about. A violent Black Lives Matter member has attacked a journalist. On Tuesday, Alpha News, a Minneapolis-based company that covers stories the local press would rather ignore, learned one of its journalists had been accosted and assaulted by a vicious group of BLM zealots. According to an article posted on Tuesday by reporter John Hinneriker at the Powerline blog, Rebecca Bannon was covering a protest in downtown Minneapolis when she was attacked by several protesters. He also described as thugs. One woman struck Brennan repeatedly, attacked her with a construction cone. Ultimately, the BLM thug stole her phone, which she then videoed them and threw it in a fountain. And we played it last podcast. 
Then we have the story of South Carolina. South Carolina college student stepfather fatally shot in head following car accident. Charles Nicholas Wall, 45, and his stepdaughter, Laura Ashley Anderson, 21, were shot and killed following a car accident in Georgetown, South Carolina. A third shooting victim, Paul McConnell, survived the road rage attack, according to WPDE-TV. The Georgetown County Sheriff's Office identified the suspect as Tyne Sheem Hashim Walters, three, a black man. The shooting happened around 5 p.m. on August 24th. The stepfather went to deliver keys to Anderson after she accidentally locked herself out of her newly purchased home. She had just moved in and was selling an old set of bunk beds to someone online who was coming to pick the items up. Wall's car was allegedly rear-ended as he turned into the driveway of Anderson's home. Walters reportedly got out of his vehicle and shot Wall, Anderson, and McConnell. It actually happened in her long, waiting for the keys to get to her, Lynn Lambert, a close friend, said. According to Bud WTV, when law enforcement arrived on the scene, one of the victims had already been taken to the hospital. The second was being given CPR. McConnell was walking around with a gunshot wound to his left wrist. Wall was shot at least twice in the head and torso. Reported Anderson was shot at least once in the head. Walters allegedly fled the scene by foot and ran into the woods. Police immediately established a perimeter and apprehended him at 6.30 p.m. Walters charged with two counts of murder, one count of attempted murder, and then illegal possession of a firearm. He was denied bail because he's in a state that still has bail. I don't understand how a simple fender bender, they called it, could turn into a double murder. Why well, I honestly don't think it was real. Who does this? She was so sweet. She was always smiling. She wanted to be a teacher like her mama. She was getting ready to start school. She was getting everything in order. Everything was starting to fall in place for her. She won't get to get married. She won't have ch- children. They both meant so much to so many people. I'm trying to get to the point where they talk about it. Well, here's the soundbite. An Andrews woman lost her husband and her daughter after a shooting here at 521 and Indian Hut Road near Andrews. After 5 p.m. Monday, a traffic accident happened, then an altercation, and three people were shot. Two later died. The third victim, a man who stopped to help, survived. The suspect ran into the woods. Taishim Hashin Walters of Monk's Corner was arrested for the murders. They both meant so much to so many people. 45-year-old Nick Hall and his stepdaughter, 21-year-old Laura Anderson, died at the hospital. Anyone who's ever met or known Laura or Nick, they knew two of the most wonderful people. My niece was simply a gorgeous person inside and out. She had a very positive, bubbly personality. She was starting school next week to become a teacher, just like her mom. She had a very close relationship with her mom, Kimberly, who's my sister-in-law. And she absolutely adored her siblings, um, especially little Jenna, who has Down syndrome. Kimberly lost her husband and her daughter in the shooting. She's an amazing sister-in-law. She's an amazing sister, amazing daughter, and a wife. Um, And I just can't imagine what she's going through right now. My brother-in-law, Nick, absolutely loved my sister-in-law with his whole heart. He absolutely loved God and loved his family. And they both meant so much to so many people. Entire communities feel shattered today. The outpouring the family has received from friends and loved ones helps. It just means so much to know that these two people touched so many lives. 
Walters is facing two charges of murder and one charge of attempted murder. In Georgetown County near Andrews, I'm Raymond Owens. Count on two. Why do you think it happened? Everything I've read online, he called them racial fucking slurs, then he shot them. It keeps ratcheting up. I mean, when you spend four years saying every white person's a fucking racist and they kill black people for a living, what the fuck do you expect people to do? Mother Jacob Blake unloads on violent rioters, apologizes to President Trump on CNN. You can't find it. And while we're talking about these poor victims of the shooting and Shannon Watts and everybody in the fucking world, here's what he said prior to it. I'm going to go shoot some N-words. That's what the victim said. The victim. But he was a great guy. And then you really start breaking down the Kenosha shooting. Two articles... One, not by our fucking um, media, criminal criminal complaint, cops used, hold on a second, cops used a handcuff paralyzed Jacob Blake to his hospital bed for almost a week and revealed showing that he was accused of domestic abuse and felony assault charges. Uh, this is the Daily Mail and they, their website just sucks. Let me try to fucking fix it. God, they're ads are fucking the worst um the three count criminal complaint filed on july 6th include criminal trespass third degree sexual assault and disorderly conduct blake's attorney wisn the felony warrant against blake has been vacated and the handcuffs were removed in hospital bed friday port states about 6 a.m the female victim was woken by blank she told the police she was penetrated digitally which caused her pain humiliation and was done without consent the cops who fired all seven shot blake back in front of the three young children were identified this week as officer rusty shesky jacob blake senior said his son jacob was being handcuffed in a hospital protests erupted in wisconsin the American article that I found, go away. Preed J. Shakur, this is why Jacob Blake had a warrant out for his arrest. Uh, Blake, 29, was forbidding going to the Kenosha home of his alleged victim from the May 3rd incident. Police were dispatched Sunday following 911 car. Responding officers were aware he had an open warrant for felony sexual assault. According to dispatch records, the Kenosha Professional Police Association released a statement on the incident. The police union statement also claimed that Blake was armed with a knife at the time of the shooting and he had put one cop in a headlock and shrugged off two tasers. Yeah, we didn't hear about that, did we? Blake is accused of the criminal complaint, which was obtained by the Post, of breaking the home of a woman he knew and sexually assaulting her. The victim was only identified by her initials on paperwork, told police she was asleep in bed. I want my shit, the record states. Uh, she told Blake, then used his fingers to sexually assault her, sniffed it, and said, smells like you've been with other men. The criminal complaint goes on. The officer took the statement, said she had a very difficult time telling him this, and cried, and she told how the defendant assaulted her. The alleged victim said Blake penetrating her digitally caused her pain and humiliation and was done without her consent, very humiliated and upset by the sexual assault. She told the police she was upset that collected herself and then allegedly ran out the front door after Blake 
the plane said. She then realized her car was missing, checked her purse, and saw the keys were missing, and then immediately called 911. The alleged victim told cops she was known him for eight years and claims that he has physically assaulted her around twice a year when he drinks heavily. Stephen Miller, the criminal complaint that led the cops being summoned against Jake Blake, has been released. Kind of changes the narrative. He was violating a restraining order. Won't change the narrative one bit. Can't wait for SJW Femis to come to the defense of the police. Weird. No comment from Alyssa Milano. The moment when BLM and Me Too intersects, Black Lives Matter, unless you're a fucking woman. Now they've vacated his charges. What did Anya Presley say? 70-year-old white supremacist domestic terrorist drove across straight lines armed with an AR-15. He shot and killed two people assembled to affirm the value, dignity, and worth of black lives. Fix your damn headlines. Black Lives Matter protester head to the residential part of Kenosha to face a church and a temple. That's what she was responding to. Now it's a non-story. You're not supposed to talk about it. Makaya J. Looks like the media played black folks again. Jacob was not supposed to be at the house, stole the woman's key, fought the police, resisted arrest. He had a warrant for rape at a 15-year-old girl and y'all folks out there defending him and burning black-owned businesses. She's black. She has BLM up. Dan O'Donnell. Breaking. Wisconsin Department of Justice confirms that Blake was armed with a knife when a Kenosha police officer shot him. Officers were called to the scene after a female caller reported her boyfriend was present and was not supposed to be at the premises. He breaks it all down. During the investigation following the initial incident, Blake admitted that he had a knife in his possession. DCI agents recovered a knife from the driver's side floorboard of the vehicle because he dropped it when he got shot. Officers were yelling for Blake to drop the knife as they followed around the car. He then opened the door and lunged for something at the officer, grabbed the back of his shirt, and fired. Blake was either lunging for the knife on the floorboard or fell from his hand. Media doesn't want to report that. Hell, they won't even do the beginning of the video. We've never seen the whole video. Because they don't want the video out. Why would you have that video out? It doesn't fit the narrative. Rita Panahi, Democratic blue check. A picture of the car dealership burning. That sign won't save you, is what she said. But PolitiFact came out. A fire at a used car dealership in Kenosha, Wisconsin burned the sign of a nearby church. But protesters didn't burn down the black church like a Facebook post claims. I didn't vote for him, says. They did, however, burn down the used car dealership. Oh, and they're not protesters. They're rioters. But the media, they just keep on defending this violence. I saw a video today that struck me. It was, it was a white business owner of a pizzeria in Wisconsin that, that had been destroyed. Uh, it looked like it, all the glass had been broken. And he was pleading with the protesters, the demonstrators, screaming at them, do you want to reelect Trump? Essentially saying, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to essentially fire up the other side. Do, do you think that's the case? Could that happen? Is there a danger here? 
Uh, I saw that video, and I, and I think there is a danger. It, it's natural. And, and I think Joe Biden, in his statement, uh, tried to walk that line, uh, supporting uh, an aggressive investigation of what does look like uh, a, a use of excessive force, at the very least in the shooting of this man. While his children were in the back seat, uh, how much of a threat was he with his kids in the back seat? I, I, I think that Biden talked about that, and he said the destruction of property, the violence, uh, that doesn't help at all either. Of course, uh, there were there was a very big police presence out there when that 17-year-old went out there. In fact, the 17-year-old was given a water bottle by police, uh, some of whom considered it to be helpful to have these vigilantes out there in the streets doing this. It does seem, as we sit here tonight, like an inevitable outgrowth of what's been happening with Trump rhetoric, with uh, uh, the concept of uh, open carry and bring my rifle to uh, every public demonstration. The pathway is to scare the crap out of people about essentially black rioters, black crime coming into the suburbs. That was the subtext of a lot of that speech. So I think he actually rolled back. I think he actually rolled back hey, some of the good that was done. And, I, and, I, and, and that's a dangerous path to go down. And I think you guys should be pushing back on that tendency in this presidency and in this candidacy. There's, it's, it's a tale of two, of two stories, but that tonight the story that dominated from that speech was a negative story. David Irvin? Van, it's not, this administration isn't scaring the heck out of people at home. They, they turn on their televisions and they're scared out of their wits because they're seeing what's happening in their communities. This administration isn't, isn't coordinating what's going on in Chicago or in the streets of Kenosha or in D.C. or in New York City. or Pick, pick your place where, where, where fires are being set. Seattle, Portland. This administration isn't doing that. Not, this administration isn't scaring them. The, the, They're being scared listen, on their you, own, Van. You, you, got, you, got, you guys may see it very differently than I do. I'm going to tell you this. If you talk about, everybody wants to talk about but like Portland. And what was going on there? That was one block, one city block. The rest of the city was totally peaceful. If you look at Fox News, you would think the entire city was burning down. It was one block. There's a demagoguing going on. Most of the protests have been peaceful. So some of this rioting stuff that's going on in Kenosha, the, the, the white vigilante groups that were in there burning stuff and killing people. There was no attack on those yeah, white they, vigilante they, they, groups. It's condemned. I, I, I'm condemning that too, man. Bad. But I didn't hear it tonight. But I didn't hear it tonight. But, 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 to say this administration, but to say this administration is scaring people. What's scaring people is the reality outside their homes, Van. That's what's scaring people. Let's acknowledge that. I, I, you got to be truthful. No one's going to buy your stuff, Van. And, and and the and the reality is that this administration has been provoking it. There was a study that was done in no, there. No, Governor, come on. It, this Listen administration is not provoking it. Would you please let come me finish? On. No one's let buying it, Governor. Let, 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 let me finish. finish, please. There was a study that was done in May, and 54 cases were documented of hate crimes where Donald Trump's name was invoked, where people were were injured who were people of color. That study also went back to look at Obama and Bush. Never did it happen under those two. But, but Donald Trump has created an environment that is giving permission for white supremacists, for the militia to come in and feel like they can, can take people out with, uh, and have been blessed by so, Donald so Trump. So, Governor, Donald, that I, is what's I, I, happening. Go, Governor, These you're saying have increased I don't see any of those people burning down the buildings and looting. I don't see anybody of those people burning the, buildings and the, the, 
David, one of those people, a 17-year-old, killed two human beings. I know you care a lot about property. I know you care a lot about property. The human life actually matters, too. No, no, I do. I agree. Listen, I condemn that. It's a terrible thing. And that person should be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. But Anderson, I didn't hear you the calling night for the dialing back of the rhetoric. The night hold before, on, the McCluskeys were on and were treated as heroes and for I doing the exact same bad. thing, only they happened not to and have I pulled said the it trigger. Was prison, and, I said, and I said it was bad. I don't think you should have the McCluskeys on. But I didn't hear for anybody calling dialing back the rhetoric of Bernie Sanders or the, ra or the radical left. When, when a Sanders supporter went and shot up the Republican David. congressional baseball team, David, I didn't hear anybody calling Joe Biden has condemned violence. Joe Biden has condemned violence. Donald Trump didn't say one word tonight. Did, Joe Come Biden on. has been saying we do not condemn, we do we condemn violence. But Donald Trump has hit has hit his, had his opportunity tonight to say something at least acknowledging the pain of African Americans who are being shot in the street, and he didn't do it. He needs to take the temperature down. It's his responsibility as the leader. It's his responsibility that 57% of hate crimes have increased by 57% under his watch. He needs to take it down. He's causing I, the I think, fear out there. Well, listen, I, I think what people, the president, everybody what the needs president to take it down. has. I, uh, look, I, yeah, I want to say what the oh, president talked about tonight. Senator, 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 yeah, Senator, just, Senator, just, Senator, just, just two seconds. What, what, we're just going to interject here just for a moment. That was South Dakota Governor um, Kristi Noem, uh, who said a lot of things. But we have, as we've said over the course of this coverage, uh, we will interject when we feel like there's something that's important and deliberate and very wrong uh, that should be corrected just so that we feel responsible about our broadcast. In this case, uh, Governor Noem just said, from Seattle and Portland to Washington and New York, Democrat-run cities across this country are being overrun by violent mobs. The violence is rampant. There's looting, chaos, destruction, murder. People that can afford to flee have fled. Um, joining us for more on that and to essentially run a reality check on that assertion uh, is the mayor of the great city of Seattle, Jenny Durkin, who's joining us on short notice. And her caricature of the great cities across America is not only wrong, it's purposefully wrong. I think she needs to get off Twitter and get off Fox News and come see our city. That caricature has been used really against Seattle more than anywhere else. Does it have a material effect on your ability to govern um, and Seattle's ability to get the resources that it needs for what the city uh, needs to get done? It did have an impact on this summer on some things because the president and Fox News were so insistent on driving that message that people started to come there to, to make the reality real, mm. not as portrayed by the president or by Governor Nome. I mean, he tried to make it sound like there were mobs rampant throughout Seattle. It's not the case. Mayor Jenny Durkin of the great American city of Seattle. Mayor Durkin, thank you for joining us on short notice tonight. Again, we don't intend to uh, interject throughout the evening, but when uh, something uh, really, really wrong gets said deliberately, particularly when they're trying to build a theme around it, we, the theme around it, we feel responsible. Now to another major story. We're following the deadly shooting that erupted during the Jacob Blake protests in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Two people killed, a third injured, and late today, a 17-year-old under arrest. Gabe Gutierrez is there. We want to warn you, some of the video is disturbing. Tonight, an arrest and the deadly violence that broke out last night in Kenosha, Wisconsin, over the shooting of Jacob Blake. This video captured part of the chaos. Shots ringing out. A man on the ground firing a long gun. 
bystanders running in horror. It's unclear what happened before or after this video. Opening fire on a crowd in Kenosha, Wisconsin, shortly after another nearby shooting. As authorities brace for a fourth night of demonstrations in the wake of Jacob Blake's shooting by police. Officers are trying to disperse the crowd violating curfew Tuesday when the chaos spirals. A video showing a man running down the street with a firearm, a crowd chasing behind him. That man falls to the ground and begins shooting. Kenosha police saying two were killed and one was injured in shootings overnight. The shootings erupted just before midnight. The shooter alleged to be 17-year-old Kyle Rittenhouse. It allegedly began when he shot one person in the head at this boarded-up business, then fired on protesters in the middle of the street. How do you defend this? How can you justify all this violence? Going to how we started the show, they're starting to realize they can't, and they're calling for an end to it. Because the GOP's running ads like this. We have an incredible opportunity to fundamentally transform the country. If I was a Republican, I would not let Trump speak again. I would have Trump stay in a basement like Joe Biden. And I would just run footage over and over, intertwined with their policies, with their statements that have been going on for four years, calling for this very much, going back to Obama, calling for riots, calling and saying police are horrible, not honoring the Dallas policemen that were executed, NFL not honoring them, nobody honoring when they were ambushed by a BLM protester, talking about the guy who shot up a baseball diamond, talk about how Portland's been a state of fucking emergency since fucking Trump got elected, talk about the protests when they had the women's march, the protests when the president was inaugurated, show it over and over and over. They're going to take away the police, they're going to take away guns, they're not going to have borders, they're going to make everybody illegal legal, they're going to have all those legal people get free money go over and over no filibuster and just run it non fucking stop because it's a winning message do you want anarchy or do you want freedom because if this wasn't an election season, I guarantee a lot of people would be doing a lot of things differently. The Democrats built this. They talked about fascism, and then they unleashed fascists on the streets of America. Let it bite them in the ass. So, before we segue the RNC, play a Tucker Carlson. I'm trying to stay with Tucker. I can't help it. This got me so fired up last night, I almost ran downstairs. He surmises it very well. It'll be our music break, and then we'll come into the RNC convention. And it was what we thought it was going to be. 
Welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. Happy Friday. What a week it was. The president accepted his party's nomination last night from the White House. He gave a long speech. It was more than 70 minutes. Compare that to Joe Biden's 24-minute Zoom call last week. And the president's address wasn't loaded with applause lines. It wasn't written in sound bites for Twitter. It was pretty meaty. He spoke at length about trade and manufacturing and jobs. He warned about illegal immigration and the burden of more refugees from dangerous countries. He pointed to Joe Biden's record, which is thin, as a corrupt and incompetent political lifer, a man who, after 50 years, can't point to a single significant policy achievement. But the best part of this speech, the moment that defined it, really, came early on, when Trump affirmed what you already know. This is not a wicked nation. Our cops are not inherently racist. Neither is America. They tell you that constantly, but they are lying. The United States has flaws. But it's also, the president reminded us last night, the most free, just, and exceptional nation on earth. That's true. In our country, free speech is allowed. Violence is not allowed. What separates American democracy from Taliban theocracy, for example, is that in America, people can disagree with one another and disagree with the government without fearing for their lives. This used to be obvious. It was the foundation of our civic life. And yet, all of a sudden, Joe Biden could never say this out loud. His voters have destroyed cities across the country and murdered dozens of Americans. He must stay silent about that. But Donald Trump doesn't have to, and so he said it. And as a result, for the first time since the Wuhan coronavirus arrived here, the president seemed likely to win re-election. Democrats are watching carefully. They know this. They can smell something has changed. They know why. Normal people hate the violence they have unleashed. And that's why this week... Finally, after months, Joe Biden issued a tepid statement gently scolding the rioters. But it's too late for that. This has gone on for too long. Joe Biden's voters no longer listen to him. Last night, as the president spoke, a group of Biden voters gathered outside the White House to threaten and intimidate anyone who dares support Donald Trump. They waited to ambush attendees as they came out of the convention. The mayor of Washington, an incompetent hack called Muriel Bowser, made all of this possible. Bowser has been on the mob side since the very first day. She allowed the mob to harass and terrify elderly taxpayers as they walked on city streets they pay for. Watch this. The cops didn't protect these people. Muriel Bowser won't let them protect these people. She won't let them do their jobs. Law enforcement in Washington, D.C., as in so many places controlled by the Democratic Party, has become completely politicized, just as it is in the third world. If you don't vote the right way, if you don't vote for them, you don't get police protection. The mob is allowed to hurt you. Last night, things fell apart so quickly outside the White House that the Secret Service told Kentucky Senator Rand Paul and his wife Kelly and two of their friends to get on a bus and leave the immediate area. The senator then planned to get an Uber back to his hotel. But the streets were blocked and no one would let them through. That's when Rand Paul was attacked along with the officers protecting him. Watch. Move back! 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 Move back!
These people are not only violent, they're incredibly stupid. They're mouth breathers. They're morons. They had nothing. Say her name, they shouted at Rand Paul. They were talking about Breonna Taylor, a Kentucky woman who was killed in a no-knock police raid when the police came under fire. In fact, as it happens, Rand Paul himself authored a bill to end no-knock police raids, and that bill was literally called the Justice for Breonna Taylor Act. Huh, irony of ironies, but it didn't matter. Paul's had to face political violence before. In 2017, he was nearly murdered by a Bernie Sanders supporter. Then he was attacked by his neighbor, apparently for political reasons, and had to have part of his lung removed. It took months to get better. We'll talk to Rand Paul in a minute about what happened last night, but he was not the only one attacked. A van carrying Fox News staff, just technical people, mostly doing their jobs, non-political people, was blocked and boarded in the middle of a city street. Watch. We want to be clear, we don't think the van was targeted because Fox News employees were inside. It seems like the Biden voters who were pounding on it had no idea who was riding in it. They didn't care. Their assumption seemed to be that everyone in a motor vehicle is an agent of white supremacy. Certainly, they think that of anyone in uniform. Watch as BLM lunatics attack a black cop in Washington this morning. This isn't happening by accident. It didn't happen five years ago. It's happening now not because police are more brutal or more unarmed African-American men are being killed by the police. That's not happening. It's a total hoax. It's happening because Democrats, the leadership of that party, are encouraging it and have been for quite some time. Here's Massachusetts Congresswoman Ayanna Pressley openly calling for violence in the streets early this month. Watch. Hold them accountable. Well, make the phone call, send the email, show up. You know, there needs to be unrest in the streets for as long as there is unrest in our lives. And unfortunately, there's plenty to go around. There needs to be unrest in the streets. We've been watching what unrest in the streets looks like. Ayanna Presley says we need more. And so there is more. Presley, like Nancy Pelosi and Barack and Michelle Obama and so many other leaders in that party, is a racial arsonist. She wants Americans to despise and fear each other. She is pleased when things burn. Presley has no skills. She's never created anything in her life. She has built nothing. Tearing things down is the only way Ayanna Presley and people like Ayanna Presley become powerful. And so they push hate and chaos. Republicans, for all their many and very obvious faults, many of which we point out on the show, don't do this. They don't do anything like this. When was the last time a mob of Trump voters torched a Wendy's or looted a Target? And if you did. If you watched them do that, how would you feel about it? You'd be repulsed. Do you think Republican leaders would defend Trump voters if they did that? Do you think they'd encourage them to do it again? Please. That's a rhetorical question. You know the answer. It's obvious. Only Biden voters do this. Only the left does this. And they've done it for a long time. A year ago this month, for example, they gathered outside Mitch McConnell's home where his family lives. Do you even remember what this was about? Watch. We're at McConnell's house. This think he's about to get some rest. Not if the, kill, the children that you're kidnapping can't get any rest. Not if families who are getting murdered can't get any rest. Mitch! 
He's in there nursing his little broken arm. He should have broke his little raggedy, wrinkled-ass neck. Just stab the mother in the heart. Just stab the MFR in the heart. They mocked the 77-year-old McConnell, who was recovering from surgery. They said that out loud. It was on tape. We probably played it at the time. We didn't take it seriously enough. The rest of us should have stopped what we were doing that day and demanded, demanded from law enforcement, demanded from Democratic leaders, an end to the threats, to the lunatic behavior, to the implied violence. None of that has any place in a civilized country, much less this country. But we didn't do that. We let it pass. We ignored it over time. And so the threats continued, and then the threats became violence, as they inevitably do. The question now is, can we stop it? Rand Paul is a senator from Kentucky. He joins us tonight. Senator, thanks so much for coming on, and his wife, Kelly Paul, also. Thanks, Thanks a lot. Um, actually, I'll start with you, Mrs. Paul. You wrote, I thought, a very affecting piece in the Washington Examiner today about what you experienced last night. Can you tell us what it was like to be in the middle of the threats and the screaming? It was absolutely terrifying. I have never experienced anything like that in my life. I hope no one else ever has to. Um, we felt completely powerless. Before some of the video that I think you have shown where the police with the bikes were kind of creating a moving barricade for us, in the minutes before the police with the bikes showed up, we were completely encircled and surrounded, pressed up against two cops who we were surrounded by people who were screaming in our faces, yelling that they were going to F us up, screaming say her name. And at one point, you know, at first I was trying to look in their eyes and trying to have any kind of reason or, or to see someone as a human being. And I realized they did not see us as human beings. We were Trump supporters, so they absolutely despised us. Even though if we were ever in a situation and maybe could have talked to some of those folks and they knew about Rand's background in criminal justice reform and the things that I've spoken out on, we could have had agreement. But in that moment, it was just like this bloodthirsty mob. And all I could think of was the man who was kicked in the head in Portland, you know, a week ago, or the man whose jaw was broken, or eight-year-old Sequoia Turner, I really felt that we were going to lose our lives. I thought someone was going to throw a brick. I mean, it was the most terrifying moment in my entire life. So given that, let me just ask quickly to you a follow-up, uh, Mrs. Paul, given that the experience that you had, you just described it so vividly, what do you make of the news coverage of it? I've seen a couple of different accounts today that suggest it was not a big deal at all, that you're complaining for political reasons. NPR tonight described it as a peaceful protest. What do you make of that? I'm furious. I am furious. I'm furious that Biden and Kamala Harris are not denouncing this. You tell me if you are surrounded by a mob that will not let you move, that is screaming in your face, that is holding you completely hostage, and you cannot walk to your hotel and you are on a dark street, you tell me that's not violence. You tell me that is not an attack. That's right. There were times, Tucker, when I'm sorry, go ahead, Senator. It happened. It happened incredibly quickly, you know, it's it's nearly one in the morning, we have two blocks, we think we can make it two blocks, it looks clear, we make it one block, and right about the time we see these policemen, we go up, we're, we just as we approach the policemen, the mob turns the corner, and they say, we've got him, we've got Rand Paul, we've got him trapped. 
30 people to send on us, but then 30 became 60, became 90, became 120, and it swelled. And we were in a pocket of Kelly and I and the two officers all touching each other in a very small pocket. They're completely surrounding us. They are pushing us. They are threatening to kill us. And they're yelling they're and screaming. Closer and closer and to I the thought point we, we were going to be overrun. And so I, I, I looked to the policeman and I yelled in his ear. I said, they know who I am. I'm in Congress. I don't think the policeman did know I was in Congress. And I said, they know I'm, you need to call for reinforcement. And he's calling for reinforcement. But even though there were thousands of policemen, it, 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 it seemed like forever to come. And we were there, but it was the pitch and the tenor of this is the invective. Everything is getting louder and louder and louder. And I thought they were going to be overrun. I mean, these police were brave, but there were two of them at first versus 120 people. If someone falls to the ground, that's when the mob becomes kicking and stopping people and you're done for. But they came up. They were incredibly brave. The president has said this, and I'll say it again. They deserve our thanks, our praise. They deserve a medal. And I'll be there in the White House with, when the president gives them a medal for what they did because I truly believe we would have been killed. The left says, oh, well, you weren't killed, so you weren't threatened. No, the police saved our lives because these thugs would have killed us. They would have stomped us and killed us. And these people don't live in D.C. either. There's evidence that's coming out that these people were paid and that they came to town at someone else's behest. So why are we putting up with this? Why are we? I mean, this is the most heavily fortified city in the United States. It's the seat of our federal government. They don't own these streets. Most of them are even from there. Why are we why have we tolerated this crap for three months? I'm serious. We don't need to put up with this. Why are we? Well, Look at where the problems are. Portland, Minneapolis, Washington, D.C., Chicago, and New York. What do they all have in common? Democrat mayors. Not just this time around. Democrat mayors for 50 years. And the thing is, the president put it very well in his speech last night. He said, if you want the country to be Portland, if you want the country to be on fire, put somebody in the White House who doesn't care about whether we have police or not. The police are brave and they are protecting us. Are there for reforms? You know me, Tucker. I'm for a lot of reforms for the police. I am for reforming them, but I never let myself forget that 99% of them or more are good people. They live amongst us. They go to our church. We see them in the grocery store. And if we want to make it out that they're all bad people, it's the same misnomer or the misrepresentation that they're saying, oh, all white people are racist. We actually have less racism and prejudice than we've ever had in my lifetime. Of course. We have been going in the right direction for so long. You look at corporate America, you look at universities, you look at intermarriage, you look at church integration. We, are, we have been going in the right direction. But now they're telling you that the world hates you and you might as well just break windows and take stuff instead of going to college and succeeding. It just, it just boggles my mind where we're going, well, but does. the violence has to stop. Like right, like right now. And we can have those debates later once we make it safe to walk on streets that we pay for. Randy Kelly, Paul, thank you both very much. That was thank you. compelling. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Tucker. Well, last night, Joe Biden voters in Washington physically assaulted and harassed Br Brendan Straka and another man. Straka is a former Democrat who founded the walkaway campaign to encourage others to leave the party as well. Here's what happened last night in D.C. Get away from me. 
So that is what the left would call, the New York Times would call a hate crime, but only if it happened to someone they agreed with politically. They don't agree with the people in that video, so of course they ignored it completely. Keep in mind, this is the same media establishment that jumped with all four paws on the Jussie Smollett hoax just last year. Remember that? There are many indications of a hate crime here. They are looking for two suspects who were apparently wearing Make America Great Again hats, though that has not yet been officially confirmed. And the media has really cast so much doubt on his story, which I find so personally offensive that a gay black man is targeted and then suddenly he becomes the victim of yeah. people's disbelief. Yeah. He said his attackers hurled racial and homophobic slurs at him. And this is America in 2019. These people are such a loathsome fraud, such liars. They're saying nothing about this, of course. Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. Move outside and let the man go through. Let the man go through. Move outside and let the man go through. Let the man go through. You mentioned how this is something uh, that Joe Biden does not have. He does not have the ability to speak at the White House or have the fireworks uh, over the nation's capital like this. We should also point out that no American president has ever accepted the nomination of his party from the White House. It was thought to be inappropriate, a violation perhaps even of the Hatch Act to have White House individuals uh, working on such an event, uh, clearly marked for a political, uh, a political event. Uh, but once again, uh, the President Trump um, shattering norms, standards, perhaps even laws by, by holding such an event. Yeah, I, I agree. Can we just take one minute to acknowledge how untraditional, uh, to use one word for it, uh, the scene that we're witnessing right now is uh, the President has just accepted the nomination of his party from the White House, which has never been done before. And now we're not hearing Happy Days Are Here again. We're hearing... An opera singer sing hallelujah. Jake, he's, he's suggesting that if Biden is elected, this country will turn into a disaster. It will be a socialist, if not a Marxist country. The economy will collapse, and everything we know about America will go away. Right. It's kind of preposterous. It's bizarre to be having this conversation as we're listening to an opera singer sing Ave Maria on the South Lawn of the White House. I mean, it, this is... This is remarkable uh, in every sense of, of the word. This is the president putting on a big show for the country in a way that a lot of people will say, and we should acknowledge, is unethical, the use of the White House in this way for a completely political event. Um, and, you know, I, I, I don't know that we'll ever, as Jake likes to say, I don't know that we'll ever breaking convention, Republicans stretch the limits on mixing politics and official business. Was it illegal? The convention also featured repeated examples of Trump administration officials mixing government 
and politics. The White House was used as a prominent backdrop and multiple official duties were conducted at a campaign event, which is possibly a violation of the Hatch Act. Democrats say they will investigate Secretary of State Mike Pompeo's convention speech. It was a very political speech. Now, normally, you know, we don't mix up government and politics. Mike Pompeo's unprecedented convention speech violating protocol and sparking sharp criticism. Never before has the White House been used as a backdrop for a party convention. Critics say it crosses an ethical line and even raises questions of legality. House Democrats now investigating if he violated federal law. It sure seems like the president has basically embraced that, despite the criticism and possible investigations. The convention so far didn't just blur the line between governing because he keeps covering it article fire that trusted trust funded racist prick celebs want tucker gone after kenosha riot coverage john fuselog from earnest family value conservative to rally show flunky to white nationalist tender of lucky tucker carlson decade-long quest to make mediocre white males believe he's cool as a mirror party decline from eisenhower to a mean crypto fascist doughiness natasha rothwell tucker carlson you're a festering carbuncle on the anus of fox news you're an exploitive opportunist racist who's confused being provocative being good at your job you'll be remembered as a weak puppet with large pores and a penchant for race baiting andrew zimmerman decided to chime in with this condemnation of carlson tucker carlson supports vigilante teen murdering BLM protesters in cold blood. He believes he's a maintaining order. This is what we are up against, and the lies and misinformation flows fast and furious as the RNC tonight, too. Vote like your life depends on it. Oh, it does for us conservative folk. It does. It totally does. And you know they want him fired because the reality is... He is the only person airing this shit. And that's why I keep covering it. He at least has the balls to cover what the media is suppressing. When you know the inverse, they would never suppress this. This would be nonstop on CNN. Of a bunch of conservatives showed up at a DNC convention and harassed people. We'll start our RNC. You heard it. It was illegal. Still playing. Oh, geez. These people are so predictable. Drew Hoden has a great one. I think it's safe to say the coverage of the Democratic Republican conventions has been different. If you look real closely, you may be able to spot how, at least at the New York Times, only one of them was breathlessly fact-checked. Guess which? New York Times. We're fact-checking right now. Night one of the RNC 2020, follow here for night one of the DNC. Starting now, join our political reporters, Ashley Wesley, Katie Geck, and Matt Flagg tomorrow for a 30-minute conversation recapping the Democratic National Convention. Hmm. CNN disrupts RNC to defend rioters, which should beat this kid up. Uh, that's right, Wolf. We're learning about a social media account believed to belong to the 17-year-old Kenosha shooting suspect, Kyle Rittenauer, portraying as a young man who has an affinity for guns who says he's pro-police and was a supporter of Trump. So we broke in for that. That was important shit. That was more important. 
over on first three nights, MSDNC censored 120 minutes of the GOP convention. On the first night, um, MSDNC skipped 33 minutes and 50 seconds, all the videos. I tell you, every year they do it. They play the DNC, Hollywood promoted, Biden is God, Obama's God, Hillary's God, anybody with a D behind their name is God. Uh, it increased to 37 minutes on night two. On night three, it skyrocketed to 50 minutes and 20 seconds. In comparison, over the first three nights of the Democratic National Convention, MSDNC covered totally unfiltered 90% of the DNC, night one through three. Of the convention saw 125 minutes out of 132, 125 out of 143, and 130 out of 145. MSDNC coverage for the first three nights included Joy Reid on Wednesday snapping at New Americans in the White House. Her feature nationalization ceremony replayed it. MSDNC coverage was featured liberal Brian Williams, Joy Reid, Rachel Maddow, and others. As a Republican, it was ex-Republicans Steele, Schmidt, and David Jolly. Maddow repeatedly interrupted to fact-check the convention, but sometimes you just end up laughing at it, and I don't think I played this. Kentucky Senator Rand Paul giving his remarks as part of night two of the Republican convention. Uh, I'm just going to interject just for a second, um, just because this is a repeated claim that's now been made on both of the first two nights of the Republican convention. Just going to jump in here for a moment. Larry Kudlow, obviously from the National Economic Council, uh, making some some factual claims there that deserve a little bit of a, a second look. Uh, just a few a few things to note in terms of Eric Prince's uh, excuse me Eric, uh, Eric Trump's remarks oh. there. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's great stuff. That that's fucking fan fucking fantastic. That's journalism at the Peacock. Before I get back to Drew, Washington Post RNC trying to disgust you. Abortion is banal. And they lost their shit about Abby Johnson, which I didn't play, but it was fantastic. Hess affirmed this happens, but tried to spin it as a good thing. As for one of her other seemingly horrifying claims that doctors piece together fetal remains to make sure the abortion is complete, that's true. But it's not some ghoulish jigsaw puzzle done on a lark. It's because an incomplete abortion could be dangerous. Oh, really? That's your fact checks. Media fact checkers are lying about Biden's pro-abortion stance. That's an article coming out because... I really didn't cover it. And then we're back to Drew. He's the best. But that wasn't the only coverage difference in New York Times. Some commentators, slightly different tone. Same commentators, different tone. New York Times, it was like a mashup of reality show and nonstop television advertisement in a convention. Adam Nogerny writes, two of our reporters, Jenny Media and Adam Nogerny, break down key moments from the second night of the RNC for the DNC. If there was a room, I suspected we'd have blown it away. Adam Nogerty and Jenny Medina break down the moments that mattered on the final night with a picture. And the pictures mean a lot. I mean, they really do. They have a beautiful picture of all the candidates or the two candidates and their wives um, holding up their hands. Okay. For the RNC, they have a picture pulled way away of... Uh, Melania, terrible shot with a reporter taking pictures in the shot. His next one, the coverage of the spouses was different too. RNC, 
What territory was she protecting? Was she armoring herself against the watching world or someone closer to home? Our fashion critic, Vanessa Freeman, writes of Melania Trump with, once again, a horrible picture of her afar. Not close. Jill Biden zoomed in. Great photo looking at her being serious. Jill Biden, who at the second lady of the United States taught English at a community college, returned to a classroom to give her convention speech. She expressed the fear the pandemic was inspiring among parents because she's serious. And she carries or cares about people. Drew Holden, spot the difference, New York Times. On the first night of the Republican convention, President Trump and his allies mounted a fierce, misleading defense of his political record and unleashed a barrage of attacks on the Joe Biden and the Democratic Party. And we once again go into the photos. The photo they used, let me see, is an empty podium him walking away kind of waving a hand it's a terrible shot the dnc one michelle obama gave a deeply personal speech to democratic national convention and the necklace she wore spelled out a key message and they spelled it out vote and once again great shot she's framed it's a perfect picture his next one. They weren't alone, of course. CNN found one party's convention more deserving of critique. Uh, if outlets wanted to regain a shred of credibility, they would fire news analysts directly in the sun. Although President Trump promised a more optimistic and bright convention, in contrast to what his team castigated as a dark and depressing vision of America offered by Democrats last week, most of the speeches were anything but analysts. And who did they use? Well, let's go to the pictures because I got to zoom it the fuck up. Sorry. Kimberly Guilfoy. You think they did that on purpose? She used to work at Fox. For the Democratic, the Democratic National Convention kicks off Monday with a two-hour virtual event built on a theme of unity. Top speakers of the opening night include former First Lady Michelle Obama, Senator Bernie Sanders, and Republican former Ohio Governor Kasich. So, of course, that's that they're going to frame it. It's, it's unity. MS at DNC and Maddow bring on Susan Rice to discuss the RNC live. So on brand, it hurts. Live now, Susan Rice discusses the RNC. Why would she? Well, they don't have any Republicans. That's why. Drew Holden again. These two tweets from MSNBC were back to back. Jay Heil, on next week's Republican convention, I'm expecting a week of unrelentingly ceaseless negativity that will probably cross a lot of boundaries. Bad picture of Trump. They install the level of humanity that has clearly been missing from our political discourse. Jamel Hill, a, a fucking devout racist, yeah, says in the Democratic National Convention, they changed the tone, and that's really what this election about. Yeah, the tone on the street is beat people. The way that particular voters have been highlighted has exactly been subtle at WAPO. Trump's black supporters bring attacks from the internet to convention primetime and an answer to a diverse Democratic ticket. Horrible photo of a black lady high-fying. Over for the DNC. She's voting Biden, but she's watching to see if the Democratic National Convention can change any minds. A thoughtful lady in a couch. It's more than just what they say. I know I harp on it. Pictures are what they frame it with. Remember, a picture's worth a thousand words. 
Honestly, nothing about this coverage of Washington Post has been and beyond has been subtle. Republicans abandoned promise of an optimistic convention and try to recast accusation of racism. Here are takeaways from night one. Bo Biden at the heart of the convention and his father's identity. Again, we should take news analysts and launch it into orbit and commentary masquerading as news. ABC is upset that the virtual RNC is mass-free while putting up puff pieces for the Dems. Analysts, the second night of President Trump's mostly virtual and almost entirely mass-free convention again sought to rewrite recent history to place Trump as a national savior in a pandemic mainly referenced in the past tense. For the DNC, there was at least one Veep who wasn't afraid to speak her mind and Louis Dreyfus. I mean, come on, ABC, at least fake it a little is his next tweet. Though Republican promised an optimistic convention, the RNC has so far sprinkled in apocalyptic language to cast the country as a place on the brink of violence and corruption in its pitch to Americans to re-elect President Trump. They selected a photo of him of pants pointing and yelling. That's what they did, because they want the whole thing there extreme. Not that you can't look in your street and see people getting the fuck beat down. The Democratic National Convention will kick off with a focus on the three major crises grippling the pet nation. The coronavirus pandemic, the economic downturn, and the national reckoning over racial injustice. And they have a nice picture of the convention site. That's what they chose. Yeah, that's that's what they chose. He then continues... There's plenty more. I'll get to them eventually. But come on, you burn your own credibility to the ground when you don't even pretend to try to call balls and strikes on these things. Rachel, objective journalism is dead. And it is, because here's just a few sound bites. There were moments of hopefulness. He did say, when I am reelected, the best is yet to come. The staging, you can hear the fireworks right here, was really quite uh, incredible, uh, possibly illegal in terms of the use of government property uh, for such an overt political event. But, but darkness, George. He said China would own the United States if Biden is elected, that Biden would abolish the suburbs, uh, that, uh, that, that, that he would t- destroy the American dream. And I have to say it's also one of the longest and lowest energy speeches that I have seen uh, the president give. The Biden campaign is calling it low energy, perhaps to taunt the president. There's no hope in that message. David Muir, there's going to be a lot of fact-checking going on for the speech from his opponents and from independent fact-checkers. There was one line that he took directly from your interview with Joe Biden, but basically twisted what Biden, to, what Biden said into something he didn't say. Yeah, this is the blueprint, I think, from President Trump tonight. He was trying to draw a line there between science and what he believes has been a failure on the part of the Trump administration uh, in doing so. But President Trump made it clear tonight he's going to label this now the Biden shutdown. The president said instead of following science, when in fact what Biden told you he followed the science. I, I think the most impressive thing about this speech, which did go on for a long time, and he did seem to run out of steam, is this backdrop and his statement. We're here and they're not. The People's House 
Uh, he believes he's, uh, he's living there, but he's also essentially claiming it almost as a matter of right. It is a new kind of politics in America. Even before the president started speaking, the Biden campaign was fighting back as the president leans into this law and order message and argues that Americans would be less safe if Biden is president. Biden has been saying, look, everything that is happening right now is happening under Donald Trump's America. D Joe Biden taking a page out of Trump's playbook, live tweeting throughout the... And I have to say, I, we've known that this was going to break uh, throughout the night, and I wondered if that was going to temper at all some of the language we have heard from Republican officials talking about the mob, talking about these protesters uh, in very dehumanizing ways. Uh, we heard uh, Christy Nome, the governor, say uh, today, Democrat-run cities across this country are being overrun by violent mobs. Uh, we talked to uh, Burgess Owens, others, mobs torture our cities. I, I have not heard any tempering of that language, even though, and look, this individual, if he is guilty, he is responsible for his crimes, not any of the individuals he supports, including President Trump. But the idea that a supporter of President Trump is accused of killing protesters last night uh, has not resulted in the Republican campaign, the Republican convention, adjusting even a little bit their language about protesters uh, seems rather irresponsible. Uh, do, do not criticize this young man for his, polit his political. He, he can vote for we want to, guns are legal in this country. That's not the problem. But there is a, there's some irresponsible and reckless uh, choices that have been made, I think, by this convention to lift up people who are, are irresponsible, pointing guns. This is an extraordinary thing to, to see this in Washington. As the fireworks spell out Trump on government grounds, there are some things the president said tonight that deserve some clarification. John Dickerson, it took more than half an hour before the president addressed the pandemic that has claimed 180,000 lives and infected more than 5 million Americans. The most important thing when you are the biggest voice in government is that people understand and think what you're saying is truthful. And when he says they listen to the science, it's just not been his record with respect to COVID-19. Consistently when scientists were telling him it was a threat, he was downplaying the threat. Uh, and this again is important because in this particular instance, more than anything else, Truth and clear information from a public official matters to people's health. One other point is he made that Joe Biden, if he were in charge, more would have been dead. Joe Biden in, in 2019 said the administration doesn't have a pandemic plan long before anybody was talking about a pandemic. The scene that we saw unfold here at the White House was a picture of what the president wants to be the U.S., which is uh, a crowd that appears to be normal, that is not social distancing. We know they were not tested unless they were going to be close to the president. And there's actually a lot of greenery where the, there could have been more chairs spaced out. And so he is focused on trying to put the pandemic in the rear view and focused on painting a picture of what the country would look like under Biden. But Nora, one other thing that I noticed is he didn't paint a very clear picture of his second agenda. He listed a bunch of laundry items, but we don't have a core idea of what his priorities will be if he does win in November. I have to say is as I'm watching this, I'm thinking, you know, Fidel Castro, Julius Caesar, Mobutu Sesi Seiko. Um, that was not an American president giving an acceptance speech. That was a monarch 
it was it was very much like what Castro used to do an hour and 10 minutes that clocked in of just you know it wasn't he, it wasn't a usual Trump speech with his ad libs and sort of the he did the sort of humor kind of thrown into it it was he said the fact is I'm here and they're not he made the White House into the Trump palace if, if democracy in America ever falls and we become a complete autocracy with a decrepit leader and his corrupt family moving their trunks into the White House and never leaving, if we become a, if we become the old DRC, you know, or we become what Brazil is now, if we just fall as a democracy, tonight is what it will look like. This is what it will look like to have a decrepit, corrupt monarch. This was a crime. Every cabinet member that was sitting there was violating the Hatch Act. Ivanka Trump was violating the Hatch Act. This was repugnant to see a, a, a campaign sign festooned on our property, on the White House, with a big iron gate outside so that the people can't even come in. This was repugnant. This, was the, this would be the end of America. If this is what we're going to be, this won't be a democracy. That's a monarchy. It was repugnant. It'll be the same super spreader story tonight where not all of the 1,000 people attending Trump's speech at the White House will have been tested for the coronavirus. What could go wrong? What Reza Aslan said to me is that the difference between a religion and a cult is that in a religion, your savior dies for you. In a cult, you're asked to die for your savior. This is a cult of personality. And I asked him at that meeting, do you fear that the cult of Trump could be a death cult? That, that, they, that people would be willing to risk death. I have literally seen interviews where people would say, I don't care if I get sick. I have to see him. I have to be near him. I have to go to him. I have to be in his presence. That is like a, a, a piece of B-roll from a movie about a pandemic. Yeah. I mean, that... No, that's a piece of B-roll from a movie about propaganda. For lots of hugging and selfies and all the rest of it, and a lot of bold-faced names among them. Um, one bold-faced name, Republican, former presidential candidate Herman Cain, has already, very sadly, died over the past few months after attending a Trump rally. He's going to get people killed. He's going to get people sick. All of these people packed in, um, which what could be a COVID super spreader event at the White House. It is remarkable the size of that crowd and how yeah. close everybody is. Does Donald Trump actually care? Because, you know, there is some reporting that he changed his mind about sending help to states for hurricanes when he was told, well, these are our people that could die. Do you think that he cares that some of his own people could get sick and maybe die by being at this event at the White House? So you're a Trump voter, but you've got a pediatric cancer patient as, a, as your kid. Mm -hmm. So you've got a mask on, and, and you hope that when you run to Costco, other people have masks on so you don't bring anything home that gets your super immune, mm -hmm. vulnerable kids sick. There was a lot of talk over the last few weeks that the Republicans were having trouble finding their talking point against Joe Biden. It's very clear now. It's, it's a anarchy. It's the fear in the suburbs. Some of the same things we've heard over the last couple of days being capsulized in that speech. The speech went on. They turned to Chuck Todd and we watched this unfolding. Chuck, it, it was less um, the Trump we see at convention speeches or State of the Union speeches and got into kind of the, the Trump we're used to seeing at rallies. Ad-libbing well, and funny. feeling loose. Yeah, it's funny you say that. I actually thought 
it was either tone down rally Trump or upbeat State of the Union Trump. The point is, you know, it felt like he, he was sort of vacillating between the two. There were times that it felt like a State of the Union that was looking backwards. He was not telling you what he was going to do. He was recitating what he believes are his accomplishments. This was an acceptance speech that felt uh, about him articulating what he's against more than what he's for. And let me bring in Andrea Mitchell at that point. Andrea, did you get a, a sense of a broader understanding of, of, of what the plan would be for the next four years? No, I did not. In, in truth, I, it seems as though it's more of the same. The fact that he staged this large a gathering during a pandemic without masks, without social distancing, in a sacred place, really, a, a, an historic landmark, the White House, a public place. Before we go to the ugly, because there's plenty of ugly out there that just really is not surprising anymore, I want to play two speeches. One is David Dorn's wife. And, well, I'm going to wait. We're going to close out on why I think the best speech was Dana White. So let's listen to David Dorn's wife, which surprisingly the left didn't attack. I mean, she is white. Yeah, she's white. Thought they'd still go after her. Hello, my name is Ann Dorn. I'd like to introduce you to my husband, David. Father of five, brother of 12, grandfather of 10, friend to thousands. He was the most kind, dedicated, loving life partner I could have hoped for. He had a big smile and a heart to match. He was blessed with the gift of gab. And that gift enabled him to touch souls and inspire people, especially young people. Oh, how kids loved him, and they really loved him back. Dave was all about service. He served 38 years in the St. Louis Metropolitan Police Department and six years as chief of police as the Moline Acres Police Department. After 44 years, he retired from law enforcement but he never retired from helping a friend in need. Since he befriended every person he met, he was a very busy man. One example of that was his friendship with a young man named Lee. David met him when Lee was just a kid after members of his family were attacked and murdered. They took a special interest in the boy. They bonded and their friendship grew and remained strong throughout the years. Lee eventually opened a pawn shop. He trusted Dave implicitly and asked Dave to help with security. David readily agreed. Whenever the shop's alarm would go off, the alarm company called Dave. He would investigate. If he got a call after I went to bed, he would wake me up and tell me he was going to Lee's just to make sure everything was all right. Most of the time they were false alarms triggered by a storm or animals but I never rested easily until I heard Dave's key turn the door, knowing he was home safe. The alarm that went off the morning of June 2nd was for real. It was a violent night in St. Louis. Four officers were shot. Others were hit with rocks and fireworks. At least five businesses were damaged, looted or set on fire. As the officer wellness coordinator and CIT coordinator with the police department, I was keenly aware of their writing and spent the evening getting ready to mobilize support for officers who were impacted. After I'd gone to bed, 
David received a call from Lee's Alarm Company. The front door of the pawn shop had been breached. This time he didn't wake me up to tell me. He probably knew I would have tried to stop him or insist on going with him. As I slept, looters were ransacking the shop. They shot and killed David in cold blood. And then live streamed his execution and his last moments on earth. David's grandson was watching the video on Facebook in real time, not realizing he was watching his own grandfather dying on the sidewalk. I learned of all this around 4 a.m. when our doorbell rang. The chief of police was standing outside. I wondered why Dave had not answered the door. It wasn't uncommon for him to be up watching TV at this time. I called out to him several times. There was no reply. He just wasn't there. I let in the chief, and fighting back tears, he uttered the words, every officer's spouse dreads. I relive that horror in my mind every single day. My hope is that having you relive it with me now will help shake this country from this nightmare we are witnessing in our cities and bring about positive, peaceful change. How do we get to this point where so many young people are callous and indifferent towards human life? This isn't a video game where you can commit mayhem and then just hit reset and bring all the characters back to life. David is never, never coming back to me. He was murdered by people who didn't know and just didn't care. He would have done anything to help them. Violence and destruction are not legitimate forms of protest. They do not safeguard black lives. They only destroy them. President Trump understands this, has offered federal help to restore order in our communities. In a time when police departments are short on resources and manpower, we need that help. We should accept that help. We must heal before we can affect change, but we cannot heal amid devastation and chaos. President Trump knows we need more Davids in our communities, not fewer. We need to come together in peace and remember that every life is precious. Most Americans probably didn't even know who the hell he was because they don't cover stuff like that. But there was plenty of ugly. I'll get more over the next couple days. But right now, we'll just start on your tax dollars, PBS. Yamichi Alcindor craps on Madison Hoth Cawthorn after he literally rises from his wheelchair to stand for the Pledge of Allegiance. Remember, any patriotism, you're a piece of fucking filth. Caleb Hull, Cawthorn for NC, just ended his RNC speech by standing and reciting the Pledge of Allegiance. Let's listen to it. Power to a mob. You can kneel before God, but stand for our flag. The American idea my ancestors fought for during the Revolutionary War is just as exciting and revolutionary today as it was 250 years ago. I say to Americans who love our country, young and old, 
be a radical for freedom. Be a radical for liberty. And be a radical for our republic, for which I stand, one nation under God, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you, and may God bless America. Yeah, that's pretty, pretty inspiring, really. Cawthorn was paralyzed from the waist down in an automobile accident. Madison Cawthorn was left paralyzed from his waist down after a car accident. Now Cawthorn NC is a 25-year-old running to represent North Carolina in Congress. Jessica Chasmer, Madison Cawthorn physically standing for America at the end of his speech with tears. Tim Young, damn it. He's going to stand up and say pledge. Me yelling at the screen crying. Be right back. I need to recatch my breath and pull it back together after Madison Cawthorn's speech. Evan Millward, Madison Cawthorn with the best moment of the RNC so far. But PBS Yamichi, I'm a racist Alcinder. This was a direct rebuke of action by people, including black athletes, who are currently sitting out games. Her full tweet, Madison Cawthorn made it a point to stand, suggesting that all Americans should stand during the Pledge of Allegiance and National Anthem. It was a direct rebuke of actions of people, including black athletes, who are currently sitting out games, protesting police brutality. Now, for one second, think about it. Is it okay to have a different opinion? It's clearly obvious you can't for the media and the left. You must be lockstep. They called all the African-American speaking Uncle Toms. They rebuked the freaking lieutenant governor who gave an incredible speech. I can't remember his name in Kentucky. Great speech. But he's a freaking porch N-word. That's what I saw online. His speech is a direct rebuke of their politics. Not the athletes taking a knee, but you can't hear it that way. Not if you're the left. The tweet, which had more than 5,000 likes. Let's, let's think about that. 19.8 people are, 19.8K are tweeting about it. And 10,000 people like that racist, fat-ass piece of shit. Whose only contribution to news was... Why do you call it the Kung Flu virus? <clears throat> there are more than 10,000 responses to polarizing critique and many of the replies lambasted Alcindor. How on earth could you possibly turn the rather moving act of a freaking paraplegic rising from the national anthem in some weird BLM trip? National Review contributor Jeff Blahar tweeted, When someone holds a door open to you, is that a rebuke of BLM too? My patience for takes like this has reached its limit. If you thought certain, certainly nobody could attack this man in a wheelchair for standing up at the end of the speech, you haven't met our completely insane White House press corps currently viciously attacking a paralyzed man for not sharing their far-left political views, mauling Hemingway. The activist below found a way to turn a paraplegic standing up in his wheelchair as an act of white supremacy, Chuck Ross wrote. Nowhere did Cawthorn state his standing was a direct rebuke of actions of people, including black athletes who are currently sitting out games, protesting police brutality. And Yamichi Alcindor is not a journalist, Stephen Miller. Madison Cawthorn may be paralyzed, but Yamichi is the one who is a completely broken person, Sean Davis said. Only a deranged lunatic who worships at the altar of politics would get angry at the sight of a paralyzed young person standing up. What a sad pathetic way to go through life 
Davis also tagged Elsinder with an image of a disabled veteran from Soldier Strong, a group that served injured vets standing up for the national anthem during the 2020 RNC. Maybe she attacked that too. There's like five of them, six of them doing it. That's the left. You can't have another opinion. Who the fuck are you to have another opinion? Then we have Lincoln Project senior advisor makes a funny about Kaylee McKinney after mastectomy and Jesus. Molly Hemingway. Kaylee McKinney talking about cancer survivors as heroes, telling her story about testing positive for BRCA2, talking about the support she received from POTUS, and says he supports everyone like this. Katie Pavlich, absolutely incredible and brave testimony from McKinney, or Curly, whatever, smart politics too. S.E. Cup, I gotta know McKaylee McKinney years ago. Her strength, which I've witnessed up close, is impressive. We've disagreed on nearly everything since then, but I'm proud of her for sharing her story. Elizabeth Harrington, with my mom, dad, husband, and Jesus Christ by my side. Thank you, Kaylee, for sharing such a powerful story. Andrew Clark. Unreal bravery for McKinney, whose public life is front of the camera every day to share a personal health care story like this. Go Team Trump, real Donald Trump, blah, blah, blah. Caitlin Collins gives a deeply personal speech on the third night of the convention talking about her decision to undergo preventative double mastectomy after testing positive for BRCA gene. She says the president called her afterwards. As we all know, Democrats and never-Trumpers have find fault with each and every speaker and Leakin Project's senior advisory and member of USA Today's Board of Contributors, Windsor Mann, thought McCaney's speech was a little confusing. He deleted the tweet, by the way. Vote for Trump because Kaylee McCaney had a mastectomy with Jesus Christ. Replies. Dear God, what's wrong with you? You're a disgusting piece of shit. This is what the Lincoln Project thinks about. Misogyny resides on the leftist lying media. This is the kind of shit you churn out when you join the grifters at Lincoln Project. I know she was missing something, just assumed it was a conscious. Does she also have lobotomy with this Jesus Christ? John Mitchell, Vanette Osborne, dogs for Biden. I guess we're supposed to vote for Trump because she had a boob job. I've had friends and family that had breast tissue removed. Not that rare, but most couldn't afford the breast augmentation afterwards. Bugs Goodman. And electively, it says a lot about what shit she's not seen in her life that she thinks this decision, while difficult for a woman to make, is somehow profoundly moving. Blanca. I've suffered breast cancer. Surely telling this story will make me appear more human and sympathetic. Nell Scoville. Yeah, so what? You're still a Nazi. That's the left. Simultaneously, Google chat promoting Christianity in America. A trailer for the upcoming documentary, America, America, God Shed His Grace on Thee, was removed several times from Google and YouTube. Advertising Centennial Institute, a part of Colorado Christian University, had bought an ad space for the video and worked with Google to ensure there would be nothing wrong with the ad. However, the powers that be at Google and YouTube decided that the ad contained sensitive events and took it down the ad was later restored we're deeply disappointed that youtube is censoring the challenge 
our nation is facing, but more importantly, the solution our nation needs to hear. We need to get back to the Bible for our country to thrive. Instead of censoring that message, it should be shouted. A Google spokesman told Media Research Center our sensitive events policy was implemented at the start of the coronavirus outbreak to protect users from harmful advertising behavior such as a price gouging. In this instance, our automated system, blah, 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 you're a fucking liar. Somebody just took it down. Then we have Politico. This is incredibly insulting. Politico gets hammered for propped-up spin on Alice Johnson and her Republican convention speech. Uh, do you notice a theme here? Disabled people? Did we not go on about Trump making fun of somebody who was disabled? It was a huge problem. We were all pieces of shit. We needed to shut our fucking mouths. What the fuck is wrong with us? How can you vote for a man who does this? You're a piece of shit. Do we remember this? Anybody? Does anybody remember it? Alice Johnson, who was convicted in 1996 and sentenced to life in prison for involvement in a drug traffic organization, had her conviction commuted by Trump in 2018. Kim Kardashian was among those pushing to commute it. The New York Post has reported that Johnson was put away for life under the Joe Biden-sponsored bill in the 90s. On the final night of the convention, Johnson gave a speech, which, once again, the left would do this if Trump had done a bill in similar circumstances. It's politics. Politico. Alice Johnson, a key player in Trump's criminal justice reform push, delivered her RNC address tonight. She's been propped up as one of the most prominent beneficiaries of the terms of the First Step Act. Kim Kardashian played a role in her prison's release. For America, propped up, you deserve the ratio. Ari Fleischer, what does propped up mean? Malik Abdul. Tell us how you really feel about black women, why don't you? Johnny Wishbone, anybody that would use propped up as a description of someone with Alice's background in life can't say the real journalist. Charles uh, Thicken, political view, Politico views black people as props, which is a true statement. Comments like this is why fake news trends daily. This is incredibly insulting to a strong black woman who has fought her way back to help others. But that's our media. Jake Tapper, through the whole RNC, could not give up the ghost of COVID. From the beginning of the GOP convention on Monday until 5 p.m. Eastern, 3,688 people in the U.S. died from coronavirus. More than on 9-11. Replies, God, you become a partisan hack. How many died during the DNC, Jake? Would like to know how many died during the Dem convention. Henceforth, in the field of mortuary science, this exact period of elapsed time will be referred to as a Cuomo. I can't believe this is how this is all Ron DeSantis' fault for opening the beaches. My God, this convention needs to be stopped before it kills again. How can he connect those two things? Was there a figure given for deaths during the DNC convention? Or was this a special privilege reserved for the RNC? Did no one die in the DNC? Oh, wait a minute. It's like social justice. COVID was on vacation. I guess nobody died during the DNC. Wait till Jake finds out how many seniors in nursing homes were killed in New York. Auto diet. 
Come on, Jake Tapper. You owe us the body count from the DNC. Who won? That's our media. <clears throat> they are so in tune with the left, they will hit it with every angle and ignore their factless convention. Because that's what WAPO said. Facts. It wasn't facts. It was emotional. There's even a story out. DNC staffers, all's fair in love and politics. DNC warned staffers to swipe carefully on dating apps. Remember, we are told the GOP and QAnon are the biggest fucking crazy-ass lunatic conspiracy theorists on the planet. Do we remember this? Well, listen to this. The possibility that information exchanged on a dating app could be used to nefarious purpose is viewed as such a serious risk that security advisors for the DNC saw fit to send an email to staffers. We've received reports that opposition groups may be trying to sting or infiltrate Democratic campaigns or organization through dating sites, reported by CNL. The email encouraged staffers to remain skeptical skeptical and use Google searches and other methods to verify any information someone on dating app might claim and to assume that everything they shared might not stay private. Another was the Tinder match, just trying to get to know you better, or are they trying to trick you? Notice when people are asking you more than a few questions about the election, the campaign, the candidate, and the opposition. Are they actually curious or might they be pumping you for information? Think twice about saying things that could be taken out of context. Really. But it's the GOP who's the lunatic fringe. It's the GOP that are full of conspiracy theories. You people still haven't acknowledged you lost the 2016 election. You people are still running fucking goddamn articles that Trump's not going to leave the White House. It's going to take fucking tanks. But yet you've said you're not going to concede. So, to end this depressing podcast, I want to play Dana White. And for some reason... This, to me, just stuck. It's stuck. It is basically what I would say if I would have gave a speech. And I'm not friends with Trump, and I'm not a Trumper. But he pretty much sums up what we're voting for in a nutshell. Hey, everyone. I am Dana White, the president of the UFC. Many of you know who I am, what I do, and that I am friends with the president. I spoke at this convention four years ago, and I'm back because I believe we need President Trump's leadership now more than ever. Before the pandemic, President Trump built the greatest economy in our nation's history and created opportunities for all Americans like no one before him. Financial markets hit all-time highs, unemployment was at an all-time low, and we weren't facing the lawless destruction that now is occurring in a few of our great cities. It blows my mind how quickly some of the leadership in this country has forgotten the critical role first responders play in our society. 
Police departments and other law enforcement, even some fire departments, have faced opposition from many in this country. But they are always the people who are asked to step up when things are at their worst and put themselves at risk. That has certainly been the case during this ongoing pandemic. Come on, America. Defunding these vital positions is not the answer. The first responders have always taken care of us. And now, more than ever, we need to take care of them. Now, let's talk about COVID. And let's be very honest about it. No one person and no one place could have anticipated the challenges that COVID would bring. But President Trump has faced all these obstacles head on. He immediately put protective measures in place, and he reached out to the best and the brightest leading American businesses across all industries to discuss what he and his administration could do to get the economy back up and running safely. Let me give you more detail. In early April, President Trump organized a task force of business leaders across the country, and I was fortunate enough to serve on that task force. Firsthand, I had the opportunity to witness how hardworking and determined President Trump was to solve unprecedented problems our country was facing. I personally observed his ability to listen and understand the issues impacting Americans of all backgrounds. It was clear his highest priority was always the health and safety of everyone in our country, not just Republicans, not just supporters, but every single American. President Trump recognized that one of the small ways to instill a sense of normalcy in people's lives was to bring back entertainment options. The president went above and beyond to help all sports leagues involved. Figure out a way to overcome the challenges of staging live professional sporting events in the middle of a pandemic. And you know what? We did it. The UFC was the first to do it, and we are continuing to do it. Now, other sports have joined us, and some of the lessons learned are being used to help reopen other types of businesses and schools. Make no mistake about it, we still have a long way to go, and that is why we need a leader with President Trump's unique attributes at this critical time. I have said it before, and I will say it again. He is one of the most loyal human beings I have ever met. The man has unstoppable energy. No one, and I mean no one, is going to outwork this guy. But most importantly, he truly loves and believes in our country. He believes in the people of this country. America is a place everyone wants a solid job. They want to take care of their family. They want to support their community, assist the less fortunate, and enjoy the freedom this country has provided to all of us. While we have certainly experienced a ton of negativity in 2020, President Trump's mindset is to work tirelessly to find solutions to problems and help restore America. He did it once, and I'm telling you right now, he will do it again. And remember, President Trump may be the only president in modern times who has actually done everything he said he would do during his campaign. There's this quote that I love from Ronald Reagan, where he said, there isn't any problem we can't solve if government will give us the facts, tell us what needs to be done, then get out of the way and let us have at it. And what that means to me is, as Americans, we work hard to overcome adversity and we face the tough times head on, irrespective of your gender, race, religion, or sexual orientation, 
What unites us as a nation is freedom, equality, and opportunity. That's what it means to be an American. Ladies and gentlemen, let's reelect President Trump. Let's figure out what the problems are and continue to find solutions to those problems. Then let's get to work. I'd like to close with this. While it's critically important to reelect President Trump, this pandemic has also taught us to be very, very careful who you select as your next governor, senator, congressperson, and mayor. It is so important to vote. And don't think that your vote doesn't matter, because to be honest with you, it has never mattered more than it does right now. Thank you, and have a great evening, America. I will close every podcast from now until Election Day with the same thing. If you want police, if you want borders, if you want a semblance of law and order, if you want people that commit crimes to have the same justice across the board and not be caught and released because of their skin color, if you want to be able to carry out your Second Amendment rights and hopefully improve on our First Amendment rights, and if you want the violence to stop, you have but one choice but to vote red now. I'm not a Trumper. I'm not a GOP member. I'm an independent American. But there is no way we can vote the Democratic Party into office and let them run the levers of power. They have proven they will resort to violence to win power. They have already said they will take guns. They will make it hard to get ammo. We will not have gun manufacturers. They will open the borders. They will legalize illegals. They'll give money to illegals. They'll raise taxes. They'll abolish ICE. They'll abolish the police. And their leaders and their media have made it more than evident that they believe it's justified to hit people, attack people, accost people, who don't agree with them. And to make matters worse, and I never thought I would say it in a country that was created on the vision of having the right to express your religious beliefs on all corners, from the internet to our media, they are making Christianity a scarlet letter. These people built these protests. It started with Obama. We didn't listen. They started running it out with the, the hen where they ran off freaking the press secretary. It started with the rallies when they egged people that wore Trump stuff. We have reported for four years over 100 individual that we know about attacks on people in red hats. At their very own convention, they attacked a seven-year-old boy for wearing a red hat that said, Make America Great. The media has said that that hat is racist. It's tantamount to a fucking KKK hood. And it was crescendoed into RNC members and politicians attacked in the street by what we've been saying since day one, 
paid protesters brought in by the Democratic national apparatus to attack, accost, and fear people. Their fascist tendencies, while they're screaming that there's a fascist problem at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, are so evident that you as an American should never want people like that in charge. Because we played it on the show. They will burn this place to the ground if they don't get power. They will burn people in the ground. They believe anybody who doesn't agree with them needs to go to re-education camp. And don't think those Bernie people are still not involved. The Bernie people are AOC, Tlaib, Omar, Presley. Who this very 10-day period said we need to continue unrest. They are evil people. They are racist. They are un-American. They are Marxist. They do not want this country They want to make this country a totalitarian fucking Marxist society where you do what you're told, you eat what they tell you, live in the home, you get money that they deem you to have. And under their tutelage, our justice system will be turned into anybody who's not black, that's including Orientals, Hispanic, go fuck yourself, you're going to jail. If you're black, you can blow up a nuclear bomb. You will be caught and released because slavery and shit. I read a tweet a couple podcasts ago, and it was done by a 20-something black American, female. She had BLM. She had gay pride. She was all in on the liberal bullshit. And she said, all this is doing is creating racists. And my final point, if you want a press corps, you will vote red. These people will cease and desist their democracy in the dock, fast facts first bullshit, and we'll never know what the government's doing. We will go back into the dark ages of the Obama administration where you never have a clue what your government's done until you get the bill. That's a blue America. And in the words of Nancy Pelosi, because they project what they are, they are enemies of the state. This is a movement that any other country would have crushed by now. But we're letting it go on. Literally, listen to what they say. Pay attention. It will not end with Biden in the White House. So this wraps up another episode of Flower Politic Podcast. Please share this with family, friends, send comments to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. FOP Podcast, gmail.com. You can get the show on SoundCloud, Pocket Static, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, Down, and Pocket Cast. Check out the Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. Our next show will be 2 September, Year of Our Lord, 2020. Until then, stay safe. Keep your head on a swivel and always be watching your six. It is starting to leave protests and go everywhere.
If you don't have a carry permit, get one. It's a double-edged sword. We vote them in, we get beat. We vote Trump in, we get beat. Don't get beat. See you on Wednesday. Take care. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride. Make every day count. Thank you.